So before we get started talking about sovereign debt crisis, got a piece of mail here. The amazing uneducated economist they wrote on there. Well, thank you very much to whoever wrote this. It looks like it came from Oakland. I guess I should put mail call into the description or something. All right, let's see what we got here. Thank you. Thinking of you. Oh, wow. Right on. Thank you so much. A $20 bill and a $10 bill. Simon, a hero amongst us. Appreciate you and your truthful reality. Thank you for being amazing and strong. We are very blessed to have you on the planet with us. <laughs> Keep on keeping on. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much, Kathy. Very cool of you. My thoughts are with you. And thank you very much for the uh, for the $30. That's very kind of you. I want to thank everybody who has um, ever tipped me. I use the money, um, whether it comes from PayPal or Venmo or cash. Um, I use that money to take my family out to eat. And yesterday we went to have Chinese. And... That's one of the favorites amongst the uh, the family is they like the Chinese food. And um, we went to the Golden Luck. Is that the one here in town? And um, I think they have the best food. Um, you know, it's all pretty, you know, traditional Chinese, you know, American Chinese type of food. But, but they do a pretty good job over there. And uh, <clears throat> the Egg Foo Young, that was the one thing I got the kids to try and yeah, you know, one of them liked it. The other one was wasn't his favorite, but um, it was uh, it was a good night out. So I really appreciate you guys tipping me on PayPal. It's uh, really shows the support that you guys have for the channel. And thank you, Kathy, for the letter. So let's see here, ninety nine of you already. My goodness! Uh, be sure and hit the like button when you get into the stream. It helps get the video spread around. The algorithm will pick it up and start spreading it around for other people to come into the channel. Um, left a bunch of links for you guys down in the description. The sovereign debt crisis is really taking off. It's really starting to happen now, and you're finding countries all over the world are really starting to feel the weight of this stronger dollar, and it's crushing them. Now, a lot of people don't quite realize it, and of course, if you follow this channel, we all know it, But because uh, I only talk about it all the time, but a lot of people don't realize that debts are written around the world in U.S. dollars. They don't have anything to do with our nation, our governments, our corporations, not in any way do these companies and, and sovereign nations around the world have anything to do with us, but yet they take out debts in dollars. And when those debts come due, or if those... If those entities want to get out of that debt, like they just don't want to be involved with the U.S. dollar, they have to get those U.S. dollars in order to get out of that debt. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people are taking into consideration as far as a dollar strengthening going into a situation in which that people really don't want the dollar. I mean, it just like, it seems so counterintuitive to think that here are these nations and corporations around the world are like, man, we don't like the sanctions. We don't like the, you know, the way the U.S. handles their, their business. We just want to get out of that currency altogether. We don't like it as a world reserve currency. In order to do that, they have to get as many dollars as they can in order to pay off those debts that they had taken out in dollars, which is going to add strength to the dollar. Now, on the other hand of it is also those debts that were written, they get used 
as if they are dollars. Like, you know, they write a contract up saying, okay, I promise to pay you, you know, in a year, all this money back. And those contracts themselves end up getting used as do as dollars. I mean, that ends up adding more dollars to the system that doesn't have anything to do with the United States or anything to do with the Federal Reserve. When those things begin to disappear, like they don't just disappear, they have to either be you know, relieved of debt one way or the other, whether the person who is going to receive that debt, like that's their liability that's out there coming back to them, like a bank has a liability. That's the cash that goes out to the system. The asset is the debt. Well, if people have that liability out there where they need to get that dollars back in order to, to relieve that debt that's, you know, that they have issued out, that's going to add a lot of strength to the dollars. And that's where I feel that the dollar bubble could really happen. If the dollar does not maintain that world reserve currency status, then we will see a dollar bubble before it pops. It will look so awesome at some point. People are going to be like, wow, I can't believe that the dollar is as strong as it is. Obviously, it's a good currency. Everybody should be in the dollar. When you hear that, when you hear that coming across the world, or especially coming out of the United States, because everybody here in the United States is absolutely hates the dollars. We're the only one who feels that way. Everybody else around the world just loves it. So, But when you hear people start feeling that way or hearing that from, from the average person, from the cabbie out there saying that, the dollar is the best place you could ever want to be and everybody agrees with that, that's when you want to be out of the dollar. That's when you sell out immediately. Uh, let me see. We just had a couple of super chats. Hey, thank you, Minted Precious Metals. Hey, UC. I think that's UE. But some good books for you to get, which would be, which would love is Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. Also, The Great Silver Bull. Why Gold, Why Now, and Crisis Investing by Doug Casey. Um, yeah, you know, that's another thing. A lot of people, when they hear me say, like, the strong dollar or being a strong dollar theorist, doesn't mean that I don't like gold. I mean, I like gold and silver. And really, I think when you see this dollar bubble start to take place, whereas people are trying to get out of the dollar and that's actually lifting the dollar, which, again, is very hard to kind of wrap your head around, but... Just imagine that, like people trying to get a hold of dollars so they can get out of their debt. Well, at the same time, there's really nothing out there that can replace the dollar for what it does. I mean, the dollar is right now the world reserve currency and a distant, distant second is the euro. And that doesn't even come close to what the dollar can do. Gold was at one time a world reserve currency and there's no reason why it couldn't go back to that even on a temporary basis, which we... I can't imagine something like that happening. I mean, once the gold is out of the common use for a world reserve currency, it would be very difficult to try and integrate that back into a world reserve currency status. Not saying it can't happen because there's really nothing else that can do it other than the dollar. So once you see the dollar start to strengthen and bubble and people are awesome with it, that's when you want to get out and start getting into as much gold as possible. Or hope that you recognize what the next world reserve currency is going to be, whether it's a central bank digital currency, like the dollars central bank digital currency from the United States, or a basket of central bank digital currencies that form like an SDR central bank digital currency or something like that. I just don't see what it is that's ever going to replace the dollar or the possibility of gold as being that world reserve currency. 
I know a lot of other people will probably look at some of the digital coins that are out there, maybe some of the altcoins, saying that this is going to be the next one that's going to take over that status. I doubt it. I really seriously doubt that's going to happen. Um, what you're going to see, like I said, is probably a dollar bubble before it pops. And when it does pop, it's going to be really ugly. It's going to be so ugly for people. They're not going to even understand what's happening. That's really where you're going to start seeing like the, the major the major hyperinflation scenario that a lot of people are predicting, it's not going to happen until the end of the sovereign or until the end of the world reserve currency status. That's when you'll probably see all those dollars flooding back to the United States and then causing a hyperinflation because people are just going to simply just want to get out of it. And there's no better place to get rid of your dollars than in the country in which that issued them. So that's where I feel that the hyperinflation scenario could possibly take place. But I don't know. It's still going to be very questionable on what that's actually going to look like when the time comes. Uh, a lot of people are probably going to want to get out of the dollar by by investing into the United States during that time because the United States is going to be looking like the safe haven asset, but really it's not a safe haven at all. It's going to be a major trap for them. Let me see. Did I get another one up there? Another super chat. Didn't I see one up here? Nope. Okay. Well, I guess I was wrong. All right, gold remains against the natural deterioration compared to almost every other metal. Yeah. Uh, back the dollar with dry roasted peanuts. The store well and could be handy for food crisis. Um, yeah, what happens? How do you get the squirrels out of it? What do you do about all the squirrels? USD backed by unicorn farts. Okay. Uh, when do you see hyperinflation? I, you know, that's again, I don't know if I could really actually see a hyperinflation scenario taking place here in the United States until, like I said, until that bubble pops, like when the bubble pops, it's going to be bad. It's, it's like people are going to look at the dollar and be like, man, this thing is so awesome. Two weeks later, it's going to be over and it'll, it'll happen very quickly. Like once the dollar starts to go, it's not going to take very long for, for people to try and get as, get out of it as quickly as possible. Um, but again, like how far out and what that exactly looks like, I don't know. I mean, sovereign nations around the world are going to be causing this dollar to strengthen. And it really makes me wonder, like, if the Federal Reserve is even, like, even if they went into massive quantitative easing, could they even print up enough dollars to take care of all the debts that have been written in dollars, like, to be able to have enough liquidity out there for everybody to get their hands on in order to pay off their debts? I just, I don't, I don't see it. Like, I, I mean, not at this point. I mean, they could. And it's hard. Like, again, that's really hard for people to try and wrap their heads around saying, look at all the money they just printed. Yeah, but it's not enough to cover all the debts that have been written around the world, you know. Uh, hey, thank you very much. Minted precious metals again. Oh, I don't believe it's going to be tied to gold. But the books talk about commodities, investment, miners, royalty uh, and streaming, etc. As well as physical metal laugh out loud but yes about cash atm yeah um you know i really i i need to do better about reading more often i have a bunch of really good books that everybody has sent me and i i do try and get into the books um occasionally like i'll i'll do a nice run for like three or four days where i'll like really focus in and maybe spend an hour or two every day reading but man, it's, it's really hard for me. Like I really have to focus. I can't have any distractions around. And lately I noticed like 
after about 10 minutes of reading, my eyes start going blurry too. So I don't know if that's from reading on my phone so much, but maybe I'm just getting old and need glasses. So I got a bunch of excuses on why I don't read. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sorry about that. I do plenty of reading. I just don't do reading of books. Um, although I should. Uh, market profit. Your thoughts on yuan becoming the next world reserve currency. It's not, I mean, it's impossible. Yeah. And if things continue to go down the path that they are, where China is going to be continuously being that manufacturer of the world, then eventually they will find themselves. Um, and I, I'm not to mean to jump around here a little bit, but I kind of almost think like right now between the United States and what China is doing, they're tr they're like almost trying to prevent this Cantillon effect from taking place where. The United States used to be the manufacturer and creditor of the world. Like we, we sold, we manufactured and sold more stuff and we lent more money out than anybody else in the entire world. As we started selling stuff off to the world, that was like the world sending us money. As we started really loading up on all this money from all these exports that we had, that's what really started driving us into importing foreign goods. And this is part of all, this is what we talked about in, in the video just earlier, talking about the semiconductors, the one I put out earlier today. When this happens, then the people who have first access to this money, oh, and that's the reason why I left a link. God, boy, I just jump everywhere, don't I? I left a link down in the description to a YouTube video that George Gammon put out earlier today. And it was really excellent because what he's talking about in there is very very in line to what some of the things that I have been thinking are going to happen. And a lot of times when I say stuff that is, that sounds like I'm like on board with this new world order stuff, I'm not, right? I am not on board with any of this stuff, but I am not denying the fact that it's happening. And, you know, to think, okay, well, I'm going to fight the new world order. Well, that's cool. I mean, if you want to fight the new world order and the things that are happening there, I mean, go for it. I mean, it's like, that's how you handle business, right? You go and fight. But I'm not of the person who is a fighter. I'm not like going to fight for, you know, my survival. I'm going to live. I'm going to live life the way I want it. I'm going to live life with pleasure and happiness. And if I can see their tactics and what they're doing and I can avoid them or I can do things with my life to actually profit from that, that's what I'm going to do because truly I'm a capitalist and I'm going to take advantage of the situation any way I can. So if I can see it in a certain way that I can profit from it, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to try and like, you know, fight these people because if they make owning stuff like owning a house, absolutely a pain in the ass to the point that it drives me into the poor house. I don't, I'm... I don't know how to fight that, right? I don't know how to fight them from coming with guns and taking everything that I own away, but I can look at what they're doing and say, okay, I'm going to profit from some of these things that they're doing out there. Like, man, I was talking about sovereign debt just a minute ago, wasn't I? All right. So one of the things that I see is like this whole green energy movement or this green everything movement. I don't know about green energy, but just green everything. One of the things I think is going to come from that is going to be building with wood almost exclusively. Like concrete and steel are very like carbon intrusive. I don't know how to quite say it, but they, you know, they leave a huge carbon footprint. And I'm not saying like all the carbon free stuff that people think is out there, like electric cars and stuff is like actually doing what they what they think it's doing. Like because I think charging these cars is probably just as just as damaging as just burning fuel through your vehicle anyway. But 
the idea out there that's being pushed is that we're heading towards this this movement and i feel that cross laminated timbers as far as the building of high rises completely out of wood is going to be like the next building trend coming into the future it's not really taken off quite yet it's still pretty expensive to do it that way but it's certainly starting to happen and just google cross laminated timbers or the clock you know building high rises out of wood and you're going to find plenty of articles and people who are doing this give it a little bit of time and this is going to be a very common place for for you know the way they construct major buildings you know universities high rises apartment complexes all that stuff it's going to all be built out of these cross laminated timber and all the things that you think are going to be like well they're going to it's going to burn up or bugs are going to eat it or it's going to rot or all the stuff like they've taking care of a lot of that stuff it's bug proof fireproof it doesn't rot it's stronger it's more seismic than you know seismic resistance for as far as earthquakes and stuff go they've got that all taken care of they're they've really and you know really know what's happening with this cross laminated timber industry and i just feel that if this green thing gets pushed that's going to be like probably the industry that's going to take off from it, it you know especially when it comes to you know new construction so I would keep an eye on cross laminated timbers as a place to possibly invest. I'm not an investor. That's not investment advice. But for people who are asking me, like, what is going to be like the next trend? I think that's going to be a big trend in the building industry, considering like pretty much like the only thing that's really advanced the new construction industry is the nail gun. That was back in what the 80s is when that was like really starting to become popular. So. Other than cross laminated timber, I can't see what it is that's going to happen with the building industry that's going to really like change the way it's done, except for that. That's going to be a cool way of actually building buildings just simply because it's less intrusive. There's not as much like environmental impact right in this, like right in the middle of the city. You know, when you're building these giant buildings, it just, they block traffic. They got cranes, they got all kinds of people and equipment and they're cutting and, you know, pouring and doing all kinds of stuff where the cross laminated timber industry, it's literally like they're bringing pieces in and just putting them right into place. Like they just crane them right in, right off the truck, right into place. And it's just like a steady flow of material and a constant assembly. So anyway, enough about that. Going back to the sovereign debt crisis, um, talking about the Yuan and whether or not it's going to be a um, world reserve currency, I doubt it. I simply doubt it just because you would have to have a debt big enough like you would have to provide the world with a safe and liquid asset like the u.s treasury and a liquid asset like being able to convert it to cash almost immediately and u.s treasuries are almost as good as cash and although they're not cash right so you have to have a safe and liquid asset that's big enough like the u.s treasury so the country that is issuing that that world reserve currency has to be willing to go into debt of that kind of magnitude and there is no other country that's even remotely close to wanting to do that and then the other thing you have to do is you have to provide the world with with the dollars right with that cash and again like unless you plan on going into some serious like trade deficit where you are buying far more than you're exporting there's really not a way to get that cash out to the out to the rest of the world so until China's like in that position in which that they are buying more than they are exporting or have a debt, a safe and liquid debt like the U.S. Treasury, which I don't think the world is quite trusting a China yet, especially considering like, you know, some of the debt crisis stuff that they're going through right now and bank runs from the people. I mean, they don't even trust their own banks, so they're trying to pull out cash all over the place and 
that's going to be like a very big limitation for the yuan taking over as a world reserve currency. You know, all these nations that are doing deals, that's not that's that's not a sign of dollar weakness. That's a sign of dollar strength. They can't get a hold of the dollars and it's too difficult for them. And so they're trying to do their own deals in the so their own sovereign nation. Now, I don't know how many people around the world are going to want to do trade with rupees or rubles or or even yuan like unless you are buying stuff from china there's very little like need to have yuan as far as your like you know in your reserves i mean they all all central banks carry foreign reserves like they all do but all of them hold us dollars that's is the currency it's like think about it like everything that you that you ever bought or said has value to it or like in the end it's always priced in dollars, like always, or like, this is worth, you know, a hundred dollars. It's not worth anything anymore. It's a hundred and, you know, it's only worth $80 or it's going to be worth $150 because the dollar is going strength. But every time they say it, that's always like in dollars. They never say like, you know, they just never, I mean, some people might price something out in gold, but very few people like ever say like, oh yeah, this car was worth 165 ounces of, of silver. Like I purchased a car for 165 ounces of silver, but really I had paid like $3,500 for the car or something like that. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Uh, oh man, so many comments. Okay. Gold did went up during inflation. There are two huge spikes in the 1970s, but it isn't a straight line. Long story short, you need to wait for it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like I, I, I don't really look at it as something that goes up in value. It looks like to me, it's something that holds value, right? That's really what it is. It's like an insurance policy. It's something to protect you against the third party claims. It's against the central banks. It's against any portfolio out there that comes in an envelope. So if you have digits on a screen, that's not wealth. That is perceived. That is like, you know, hoping that the third party will come through with the claim that you have towards it. It was just like, hey, I want my $35,000. Where are you? Send it to me. How come you don't answer the phone? If those are the questions you're going to end up asking and you're not, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Not saying that, you know, investing isn't a smart idea. I mean, for sure, if you want to build wealth, but if you want to secure it, you got to do it with, you got to do it with precious metals. There's really nothing else that'll do that. Silver seems to have a strong inverse correlation to the DXY than gold. Yeah, silver is kind of like the evil little cousin of gold. You know, it doesn't really perform the same way. When it does perform, it usually outperforms in many ways. So, um, you know, or underperforms in, in a lot of cases too. But that's the reason why I like it so much is that even though it has some volatility to it, it, it really to me is a much safer place to go to, especially when it is down comparatively to gold. Like they pull it out of the ground at like a 10 to one ratio, but it trades, I don't know what it trades at now. Like, I don't know what 60 to one, 70 to one, something like that. I haven't looked it up in a while, but that's like a huge, you know, disproportion. I mean, it should be much closer to that 10 to one ratio. And if it ever did get closer to that, then you would find that gold and silver would be very much in line with each other. But as of right now, it's like, the market manipulations inside of silver doesn't really give it a good like price spot price on the market. It's like mostly paper silver that's making that price happen. So even then it's driven down, which makes it even better to buy into simply because it has very little downside risk to it. 
So anyway, I like silver. I like silver over gold, but you know, gold is what the central banks around the world would deal in. Weird question. Central bank digital currencies. This is by DBS Betty, by the way. Thank you for the twenty dollars super chat. It's very nice of you. Um, weird questions. CBDC. How are the nefarious groups, yakuza, triads, cartels, mafia, politicians, gonna be okay with traced monkey, traced money? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a monkey, huh? Do you see them okay with this? I feel like, despite the World Economic Forum, these guys might not be okay with this. Um, in in what way? Like, are they going to have any other choice in the matter? I mean, they can always do their deals in gold. There's a lot of, like, mafia and warlords and stuff like that who deal in gold and then convert that gold over to dollars. I mean, in the end, every drug dealer, every warlord, every gangster, everybody wants dollars. They don't want anything else. They want dollars. But will they be okay with it? Well, probably not, but not, they're like, I mean, I know a lot of people will probably argue with it, but they're not the ones in charge of the of the monetary system. So, you know, if they don't like it, that's kind of too bad. But I'm sure just like anything else, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. They'll figure it out and figure out how to make their profit happen. That's how they work. Um you know, a lot of people are like, well, the drug dealers or whatever. It's just like, I, I don't know how to explain that. It's just the way it's going to be. Like, I really see at some point in the future, you will probably find that the central bank digital currencies will be used and they will be used for all the activities, whether they're legal or illegal. And that's simply to get the people into it, like to make sure that they have that confidence with that central bank digital currency. So even if you're doing a drug deal or doing something illegal, they're going to just allow it to happen and just say, hey, we don't really have any control over that, although they do. And then once everybody is convinced that they don't do anything about it, that's when they can start putting the screws to the people because then at that point they won't have any other choice. So in the beginning, like I just really feel like, you know, it'll it, there won't be anything like held against them for using it for nefarious deeds in the end it will be but i know a lot of people will probably look differently about that but that's the way i see it because anytime you ever do something that kind of restricts the people especially americans like if you tell them you're going to do this they will even if it's good for me even if they if it's a good idea or something they will just like adamantly fight against it just because you told them to do it because americans are completely stubborn when it comes to being told what to do now, granted, there are a lot of people who fall right in line with it, and they will be more than happy to sign up on it. But if you don't have everybody convinced, then it just simply won't work. Everybody uses the dollar because they're convinced of the dollar. I mean, they don't want to be paid in anything else. I mean, do you want a paycheck and you want? What are you going to do with it? I mean, you go down to the store with a bunch of you on, they're going to laugh at you. So you can take your yuan all over the world and there are some people who probably accept it but if you had dollars in your hand they will definitely take it no doubt about it there is no arguing u.s cash is by far the most desired piece of currency around the world and that's not about ready to change all right a peaceful warrior thank you very much for the five Hey, Yui, thoughts on Australian housing market over the next two or three years? I'm sorry, guys. I have been so focused in on what's happening here with the United States, the mortgage-backed securities, the interest rates, and, you know, the just inventory levels, the builders that are happening here. I just really haven't focused in much on Canada or New Zealand or Australia. So I couldn't tell you what's going to happen in those nations. I'm just kind of too focused in on what's going on in the United States right now. 
Um, I couldn't tell you. I wish I knew. Um, and that way I could give you a better answer because, you know, you paid $5 for an answer and I just can't give you one right now. Um, solve a sovereign debt. Solve. Gee whiz. Solve a sovereign debt crisis with a sovereign mint coin. Bet against the banking cartel. Um, yeah, like you can, you know, that's something I always thought about. Like silver eagles. I mean, they're an ounce of silver. It's the United States government issued bullion. And it says $1 on it. Like, you know, if you had a bunch of silver eagles, and I know, like, you can't legally do this, but if you had a bunch of silver eagles, like, you had a 100 of them, right? Well, that would be, like, you know, what, $2,000, right, or something like that. And you went to somebody for a car, and you said, hey, I want to buy that car, but I want to pay $100 for it. And you're going to sell it to me for a hundred dollars because I'm going to sell, I'm going to buy it with legal tender silver Eagles. And I just want to pay a hundred dollars for it. And I'll give you these hundred silver Eagles. And to somebody who had like, you know, an 1800 to $2,000 car, that might be really worth it to them. They'd be like, yeah, I'll sell it to you for a hundred dollars. And then like, how do you pay taxes on that? Do you pay taxes on a hundred bucks? Now, of course you're supposed to pay taxes on what the silver is really worth, but it's legal tender. So like, why wouldn't you be able to use it as legal tender? It says $1 on it, you know, use it as a dollar and then buy something really expensive with it, you know, and get the people to sell it to you for that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, infamous NYC, uh, what is COP in 20,000? I can't imagine that's, I can't imagine that being $20,000. What's that COP? Um, People will need commodities more than dollars. If the BRICS nations come through, nations will have to divest and hold BRICS, reserve weakening the dollar and causing hyperinflation in America. Yeah, um, well, that that very well could be a case. I mean, there's definitely no arguing that. And it's certainly in the works. I mean, that sort of thing is happening right now. But to try and, like, guess the timeline on that, I mean, how do you how do you do that? Like, I mean... The bricks have been like in operation, and like the the whole concept of that has been going on for what like fifteen years or more. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I heard about bricks nations like a long time ago, and although, like I said, although they're working towards something like that, like taking over as far as a world reserve currency, or at least having a competing world reserve currency, going through Brazil and Russia and India and China and you know South Africa. You, you you put all those nations together and I still don't think like they could just come up with an instantaneous like replacement and I don't feel that replacing it like very quickly is going to happen. I think really it's going to go down the way I say it is and that is is that they're going to start pulling the liquidity out, right? That's the dollars. They're going to say, well, we'd, we're going to go into quantitative tightening and the moment that they start going into quantitative tightening, you see what happens. All of a sudden, corporations are failing, sovereign nations are failing, everybody starts to fail. Anybody who is strung out on debt and then has a cost of living or something attached to it where they are like basically strung out to their end of their debt, like you make $100 a month and you pay $99 out in living expenses and, and debt and then you only have $1 left, well, that doesn't do you very well. Now, obviously, that's like not a you know, not realistic to say a dollar, but you get what I'm saying. You know, it's just like if you only, if your if your debts and your expenses make meets your your income, and they start raising 
or they start pulling liquidity out and they start tightening up the the currency it's ever more it's going to make it that much more hard for you to try and acquire the dollars to get out of your debt and no in all the nations around the world they're in the same position like they they they're going to feel it that same way so as long as like the desire to get out of debt or to pay those debts off or to get out of the dollar completely that's going to send the dollar ever higher until it finally pops so i just like even with the BRICS nations even if they have a replacement they still have to go through that experience with the dollar first before they can before they can take over okay do not work for dvds okay <laughs> can i barter with my good looks that's you know that's a talent all on your own man i people told me i'm good looking all the time i don't know if i've ever used it for anything i don't know am i good looking <laughs> uh i know some whales that want silver especially yeah it's gonna you know if there ever came a time i mean i've talked about this before i mean how much do they mine in a year how much is the global silver mine in production it's like what 800 900 million ounces or something if you took every single american and you told them to go out and buy just two ounces of silver just two Right? And just Americans went out there and bought two silver eagles or just two silver bullion. It doesn't really matter what kind of what it has on the face of it. That would just about eat up the entire world production for a year. Right. If they just bought two ounces of silver. I mean, if that's not including like Canada and Mexico and Russia and Europe and China and everybody like all everybody. If they all went out and decided that they were going to get one ounce of silver, the, the whole world is going to get possession of just one ounce, it would send silver through the roof. It would be so expensive to try and get one ounce of silver by the time everybody tried to get one that there isn't, it, it just wouldn't happen for one. I mean, because it would just drive the silver price just absolutely bonkers. But nobody cares about holding silver. Only people who understand it like we do ever have the initiative to go out there and try and hold on to silver as a savings you know, as a securing of wealth. Nobody thinks that way. Almost everybody who even buys silver now has like this idea that we were going to go into a hyperinflation scenario and silver was going to go through the roof. I don't know how many people were trying to tell me this. And I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just saying that you have to see those sort of things to start taking place where everybody around you is talking about buying silver. Then, yeah, it might be that. But I don't see it. I see it as a savings account. I see it as an insurance policy. And I really would much rather see it at $18 an ounce until I am like 70 years old. And then I would love to see it go to $5,000 an ounce. Like that's when I would really want to see it. Um, other than that, I am just stacking it up for an insurance policy and savings. So it doesn't really matter if it goes up for me. I'd much see it, rather see it go down so I can buy more. All right. Uh, I have skills. Want to trade? I am a good listener. Can have? Can I have your food? <laughs> yeah. Um. You guys are good listeners. All right. Just give me the all-time high, and I would be content. Yeah. Yeah. Once it reaches its all-time high, though, that's when you got to get out. And what are you going to get into? Are you going to get into dollars? Right. I mean, that's probably like a situation in which the dollar is failing miserably. It's at, you know, two thousand dollars an ounce and everything around you is just like or all the dollars around you are weakening by the minute. And are you really going to sell out and get into dollars? I mean, what are you going to immediately move into something else? I mean, what is it that you're going to trade your silver for? 
So even if you're running into a hyperinflation scenario and silver goes up to $2,000 an ounce, you better be looking to trade it for real physical items or real things or somebody who has skills to be able to trade, you know, work for it or something. But to try and trade it into dollars, that's going to be a mistake, right? I mean, because the dollar will be failing at that point. What are you going to do with those those worthless dollars? Everybody's going to be holding on to their silver at that point and be like, I ain't paying, you know, taking dollars for this. Let's see. Um, that was a BS story from someone trying to sell silver. What was? Huh, my story? I don't think I BSed you guys too much. Um... That's when you trade for gold. Yeah, really. It is. If I mean, if you can get the ratio down to even under like 20 to 1, like that, I would trade 20 ounces of silver for an ounce of gold anytime. Like if I could ever get into that position, I would totally do that. All right. Uh, I would rather have gold than silver unless I want to be speculative because silver's not as rare. Output can be meaningfully increased. Though, where, whether there be a short squeeze at some point, it's a possibility. Um, I don't know if the output can be meaningfully increased. I mean, there are silver mines out there, but from what I understand, the majority of silver is a byproduct of other metal mining. And I think it's mainly like what, copper and nickel and lead and gold? Like, those are the ones that really are the silver producers out there. Now, don't get me wrong, there are silver mines where that's like, you know, where they go for it. But that's generally how they get silver is usually a byproduct of other metal mining. So if the other metals take off, then I could see where silver could have like a meaningful increase into supply. Or if the price goes up so much that, you know, all the silver that's sitting in people's, you know, houses and stuff start moving into, into circulation, then I could see like more supply coming that way from all the hordes that people may have had. But even that, I still don't think that a lot of it's going to be coming into play as far as providing like more inventory to the like silver market. Because as the price goes up, people have a tendency to hoard onto that as it goes up. All right, the infamous NYC again. The issue is commodity exporters can denominate their exports in their currency like Russia is doing. And how now Saudi Arabia is letting China buy oil with yuan, trade dying currency for tools. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you see what happened to Russia when they started pricing it out in rubles. They were like, oh, crap. OK, I guess we got to get rubles. It caused the ruble to strengthen up. And they're like, yeah, this is totally working. Now look at now look at the oil output. Like Russia is not pushing out as much oil as they once were. People are finding other places to buy oil. And most likely it's because of all the sanctions and the, you know, the difficulties it is to try and buy oil from Russia, even if they do try and price it out in their, in their own domestic currency, it doesn't mean that they're going to be selling a bunch of it. And that seems to be the case and that they're actually suffering with not pumping out as much oil. I don't know about pumping it out, but selling it as much of it around the world, you know, it's because who's going to, who's going to. Who's going to play that game is all I guess I'm getting at. There's a couple of people, right? China and India and a few others, like, you know, they'd be willing to play the game. But the rest of it are just like, uh, you're on your own. In even like Saudi Arabia with, with China and Yuan, like, I would I would assume that Saudi Arabia would be willing to take Yuan on as far as the purchasing of oil. But only enough that they're going to do their trade with so that they can buy it from China. You know, oh, that was something I was going to bring up. And it's kind of like a thought that I had because I feel like, you know, the United States and China have kind of something going on. Like they understand, like, I'm sure they understand it, but 
if you notice, like, China went into, like, huge manufacturing depression during the COVID lockdowns. Like, they told everybody who manufactured to stop doing it. And at the same time, like, the United States had locked up a bunch of distribution of inventory going through the through the country. And so I thought about these two things. Like, one of the problems with Cantillon effects is, is that the people who are coming to the end of, like, the money cycle, like, they've when too much money has come into a state and now it lifts them up into like this higher standard of living and then they start importing a lot of stuff. Well, that's like the dive into luxuries. If they didn't dive into luxuries, then you wouldn't have the same effect taking place. But once people earn the money and they have a lot of it, they're like, man, I want to live my life more comfortably. So instead of like just continuing to suffer with having like nothing and having a huge savings and then using that savings into production, they dive it into luxuries. Well, like when they locked everything down as far as preventing stuff from transferring through the country, that's like preventing luxuries from getting to the people. And then on the other side of that thought is that when you manufacture so much stuff and you're sending it out to the world, well, that's money coming into your state. And if you get too much money coming in, then the same thing happens where you start diving into luxuries. You start looking for foreign imports. Well, like China put this like depression on when it came to, to the manufacturing, like they like resisted, the manufacturing of stuff well that prevents it from being sold out there so it's almost like they're trying to prevent the cantillon effect from taking place but it's not going to work it's only going to be temporary and eventually it'll cut loose again question who controls the internet on and off switch same people who control the markets remember history yep uh let's see he bitcoin all love crypto is good return of excuse me, uh, return on investment, the short term, but it is not a good store for the long-term wealth. No, nah, I, I don't, I don't believe Bitcoin is a store of wealth or anything else like that. I think it's going to be a very useful currency at some point in the future, just for transferring wealth from one location to another. There's really nothing out there that quite touches Bitcoin and what it can do. Like even the SWIFT system Although it it does work like you know efficiently for the most part, but you can stop it. It's like it's under control. Like Bitcoin, once you set that that currency into motion, it's it's on and running. Like there's nothing that's going to stop that. And so that's a very unique thing to have available to us. Um, you know whether or not it ends up being the currency of choice, I don't know. I personally think it's going to end up being like the digital gold out there, and something else will probably end up being like more of a common daily occurrence for transferring wealth, like using either like the lightning network, like a secondary layer, or maybe just a different coin altogether. You know, I kind of got on board with Litecoin. I don't think that's going to be the actual currency of choice, but you know, who knows, who knows what it's going to be. Um, you know, everybody's still stuck on XRP as far as being like the international trading currency of choice, but we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, Simon, do you support leaving big banks to local credit unions? I use my local credit union, but then again, I have a couple of different bank accounts. Um, some of them are from the big corporation guys, but I put most of my, actually I put all my money into my local credit union. Um, that's where I go. I don't have much of it yet, but I have, you know, that's where I put it. And the main reason is, is that you have to, like, if you hold cash and you, and you don't like, 
if you don't do like all of a sudden you just show up it's like oh man i want to buy this car or something and you just show up at the bank with ten thousand dollars they question that they're like where did you get this ten thousand dollars how come you just got it sitting in cash if you already have it in the bank then they don't question you like why do you have this money so that's the main reason why I keep it in the bank is because I plan on buying into at least some sort of investment going into the future. And if you are going to buy like rental properties or something like that, then you have to have proof of where that cash was or came from. And so having it in the bank already, there is no questioning that. It's just like, it's, I've been saving it for years or whatever. Um, I have a hundred dollars in Robin hood and can't take it out. Why not? Can't you just transfer it to your bank account? Um, bank of sock draw sock drawer <laughs> works for me. Yeah. Um, again, it's you know it's I mean it's your personal choice and what you plan on doing with that money and why you need it. Bitcoin will never hit three k again. Uh, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. Um, you know, once you go into a full-on sovereign debt crisis, corporate debt crisis here in the United States, we got the same issues going on with corporate debt crisis and people in crisis. Yeah, they're going to sell everything they have. I, it doesn't matter if it's gold, silver, stocks, food, whatever they got in order to get a hold of cash so that they can pay their debts and keep from getting kicked out of their house or losing their car or whatever they have. They will sell it, even if it's something that they need, like food. You know, they will they will get rid of it, thinking that they will be able to acquire food someplace else, not realizing how bad of a situation they're truly in. If that's the case, if we are running into a true sovereign debt crisis and corporate debt crisis, then I could see where everything would crash. In well, it depends on how it goes down, but even gold and silver, for the most part, but it wouldn't last very long because if we are going into a sovereign crisis and the dollar is strengthening that much, then they're going to have to find some sort of alternative. And if it's gold, I mean, gold is really the only logical other place to go. Um, it could be cryptocurrencies, but I just really doubt it. Not at this time. Like, there's not enough people around the world who are going to accept that idea, but they will accept gold. Like, everybody would accept gold. <laughs> right. If you decide to use a centralized exchange... I'm not sure what that meant. Um, will the Fed favor inflation over unemployment? No, no. In fact, they are going to cause some really. They're going to cause layoffs. They are hope. Actually, they're hoping for layoffs. They're hoping for unemployment to rise, and that's kind of sad. Like we did a video on it not too long ago, but that's really the case. I mean, the the Federal Reserve has put us in a situation in it's not just the federal reserve i mean it was in conjunction with everybody else out there like all the governments and stuff but really it was put into a situation in which that the hold on it was right here let me grab this speech um okay so this is from from uh, john williams speech uh monetary policy for a low neutral interest rate world and he says here three main global trends appear to account for the bulk of the decline in the neutral rate over the past quarter century one is demographics populations are aging as people live longer and birth rates have fallen the second is productivity growth which has slowed around the world the third is the heightened demand for safe and liquid assets this is important this part right here which has led to a wider wedge between yields on safe government securities or central bank reserves 
and yields on the riskier assets such as corporate bonds. So that was a huge problem for them. There was this big wedge. You got assets, you know, U.S. Treasuries, the safe and liquid assets here. And then you had corporate debt that was way up here. And they wanted to get that closer to each other. That's what happened. We, we found that take place during the pandemic. These special purpose vehicles that were set up by the Federal Reserve during the unusual and exigent circumstance, like normally they would never have had the opportunity to do this, except that there was this pandemic happening. So it gave the Federal Reserve a position in which that they could set up with the Treasury a special purpose vehicle and entities separated away from them because the Federal Reserve can't legally buy corporate debt. And then put out this idea that they were going to be loading this thing up, this special purpose vehicle, with corporate debt, saying it. This is the corporate debt lending facility. We have funded it with hundreds of billions of dollars, and we are going to buy the fallen angels. And this was like the too big to fails. This is what they were going to do. The people flipped out, screamed at the Federal Reserve. They screamed at the top of their lungs saying this is like, you know, this is bull. And that the Federal Reserve is going to be picking the winners and losers. And then everybody ran out there in front of the Federal Reserve and bought up this corporate debt. And it caused the yields on that corporate debt to come way down much closer to the U.S. Treasuries. Exactly the, what John Williams was saying was the problem. Right? The, the third was the wider wedge between yields on safe government securities and central bank reserves and the yields on risky ass, riskier assets such as corporate bonds. So that was that was a major problem back in you know back two years ago well they solved that problem they don't have an issue with that now the only problem that they exist now is that when they when the people ran in and started front running the federal reserve and loading up on this corporate debt they didn't know who like they didn't i don't think they really cared like you know anybody who had a decent yield to it the the investors went and tried to to buy into it well these zombie corporations were part of that corporate debt they gorged on this corporate debt just as much as anybody else did. And when they did that, they're like, oh, man, now we're sitting on a bunch of cash that we borrow. What do you do with it? Well, start expanding business, hire more people, do all kinds of stuff out here. Well, they're not viable companies. I mean, these are only companies that would exist because of the low interest debt that they were able to take out by selling these bonds at incredibly low yields. Well, they're not going to survive. And as the interest rates rise, they are not going to be able to roll that old debt into new debt and be able to pay it back to bondholders, and they're going to start to default. And you can see a good example of that over in China right now with the property developers like Evergrande. They are suffering from that exact scenario. So just wait for it. It's going to happen here in the United States. It's going to be ugly, and corporations are going to fail. That's going to cause layoffs. The people who are viable people who really should have had a job because they're smart people who work hard, they're going to find jobs over at the other corporations that are dying for labor right now. And there's going to be a lot of unemployment that starts to happen. And the people who quit their service job are going to go back to waiting or waitressing or bartending or working in their lumberyard or something. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Um... Bloom will plants survive a nuke. Don't stress life, just live. That's, you know, that's really it too. I mean, you got to just live your life. Um, you know, a lot of people were like, well, this government's going to come down and they're going to crush everything and they're intrusive and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to live my life pretending that that's happening to me every single minute of the day. I mean, yeah, I understand it. When I use my phone, I'm using Google. When I use my phone, I am I know that I'm being tracked and traced and everything else that goes along with it. When I communicate with my family, 
I use encrypted messaging service because that is a private message between me and my family and nobody else needs to know that I need to stop a safe way to get a gallon of milk. It's none of their business. But all the rest of the stuff out there, it's they're going to know. And if you try to hide, you go right to the top of the list of people they want to figure out. So if you want to have the government in like staring at you, try and hide. You're the, you're going to go right to the top of the list. Give them all that information and just let them know that you ain't up to nefarious stuff. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's the case. And, you know, I mean, if you look at any other way, then you have to get rid of your phone. You have to, like, communicate only in person. You have to tell people to, like, you know, turn their phones off or leave them in the car when you have a conversation with them. Otherwise, they know who you are. What's really interesting is, like, I don't log into any computer ever. Like, I, I'm logged into my phone. I have a laptop at home that I'm logged into, but I never log into anywhere else. I can go to certain computers and after just a few minutes of Googling things and looking at stuff, they recognize it's me and all of a sudden my Google page or the YouTube page starts filling up with all the same videos that I would find on my phone. They know. They, they can just tell by the things that you type and what you say. They can recognize who you are. If you think you can hide, I mean, good luck. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can hide. Like, they figured it out and they know how to hide from it. But most people have no idea that they are just completely exposed to to the algorithm out there and they know who they they know who you are and okay 100 okay now we are living in a digital format yeah okay long run you need to have diversified assets in inflationary times better to have a staff that more a staff that more physical and when one part goes up or more stuff that is physical that's what it is more stuff that is physical and when one part go up you trim trim it and put it into value and preserved undervalued yeah or pre perceived anyway the service industry is over saturated in my area all these restaurants keep building into a labor shortage yeah um I know it's kind of funny, but like those people are going to be wishing that they had a restaurant waitress job, especially when restaurants are shutting down and they can't find them. Right. And that's hard to see right now because everywhere you go, there's help wanted signs. But those things are going to get taken down at some point and people are going to be begging for work. All right, Simon, you're wrong on possibilities of crypto not being a main currency proof. 1970, everyone said that they didn't want paper instead of gold. Yeah. And. Well, okay, that's true. Back in the 70s, that was very much the case. And in fact, it was so bad on the dollar that the Carter administration had to issue out debt that was due in German marks and Swiss francs. Like, that's what, like, they issued out debt not in dollars. They were issuing out debt in somebody else's currency saying, okay, please lend us some money because obviously you don't want dollars. There was so much foreign currency moving like away from the United States and to into the Swiss banks that they were the first ones to actually put a negative interest rate on a, on savings accounts was on foreign depositors going into the Swiss banks because the demand or the lack of demand for the dollars had people very fearful. So they were trying to move out of the way from the, the United States banks They were moving over to the safest one they could think of, which was the Swiss Swiss banks. When they started doing this, it caused the Swiss 
currency, the Swiss franc, to grow so strong that it screwed their exports up. Like they couldn't export anything because the dollar, their their currency had strengthened so much with so many people depositing money into their banks that they actually said, okay, that's it. We can't take any more foreign deposits. You're strengthening our currency too much. We're going to implement a negative interest rate on anybody who tries to put money in our banks. They were the first ones to do it. They were the first ones to do a negative interest rate on accounts. But that was the reason. It was because people were so fearful of the dollar. And that continued all the way up until they were like, okay, well, we got a problem here. We better like put these interest rates up pretty high. So people will like want to buy into the U.S. dollar again and start getting U.S. treasuries. So that's when, you know, in the early 80s, they shot interest rates up to 15% and pretty much ended that whole idea of like people not hating the dollar. They started loving the dollar again after that. And then that's when like everybody started getting into the dollar, the whole world. did. And, you know, later on they had the Plaza Accord and stuff like that. But the the 70s was a very strange like time as like you know transitioning off a of gold standard into the dollars and like you said like you know you commented there you know people hated it back then but they it, it ended up surviving you know so i guess you know what you're saying about cryptocurrencies could exist i mean but again like what are you going to do for cryptocurrencies that would get people to be motivated to get it? I mean, like if you had an interest rate attached to it, like you're like, okay, so if you save your money with us in Bitcoin, you can get a 10% return. Well, that's a third party, like that's a third party, like trust that I'm just not into. And all the different crypto companies that have just recently failed, I think are, you know, proof of that. Thank you very much, Crypto Sticks. Why Litecoin? Okay, so why Litecoin? Thank you very much for the five dollars, by the way. Um, so I, I chose, I, I, I didn't really choose Litecoin. I was just doing a lot of research into cryptocurrencies, and when I came across Charlie Lee and was listening to a lot of stuff that he was talking about, I really was intrigued by cryptocurrencies and his project that he was working on, like this Litecoin project. What I found interesting is that Charlie Lee never really promoted Litecoin as much as he promoted Bitcoin. He was like, buy Bitcoin. Once you get a hold of Bitcoin, get a hold of like one whole Bitcoin, then start moving into Litecoin and start buying it. He never really had like this selling of Litecoin, at least not when I was watching him. I mean, I haven't watched him like this stuff in quite a few years now. But, you know, five, six years ago when I was looking at it, I, I was just like, wow, this guy is like promoting Bitcoin while working on his Litecoin project. And so I thought to myself, you know, this is a pretty cool guy to to do that. Now, a lot of people will argue with that saying, well, he sold out at the top when, you know, Litecoin ran up to whatever it was, $400 a coin, and he, you know, sold his entire stash of Litecoin. Well, yeah, that's true. He made a bunch of money off of that, but then he continued to work on the project. Like, he didn't give up. He was like, okay, boys, I'm done. Thanks for all the money. I'm out of here. He wasn't like that at all. He just kept working on the projects. And so, like, that's what got me interested in Litecoin. I'm like, well, you know, if he's that like dedicated to to the progression of this cryptocurrencies and really is much more fond of Bitcoin over his own currency that he had created, I don't know. I kind of, it was just like, I don't necessarily trust him, but I kind of like that idea. You know, it showed some like kind of transparency that I was appreciative. Yeah. Uh, and the Fed, yeah, might as well. Litecoin is a great coin, yeah. Crypto has very little public adoption. It's just speculators and smart nerds. Um, yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, that's seems to be the case on a lot of it. But it's still it doesn't it doesn't take away from the idea that it's a 
there's really nothing else that can substitute for what it does, right? I mean, you want to do a transaction with somebody around the world and you don't want anybody to stop you from doing it, what else are you going to do? Like, you can't, like, just go to Wells Fargo and say, hey, I want to make this happen, even though you might disagree with it or have governments disagree with you or it's going to be traced by i mean i guess bitcoin could be traced too if they know your wallets and the receiving wallets but still like you can't stop that transaction you can't you can't prevent it from taking place yeah all right gold means u.s corporations thought on chinese not paying mortgages yeah that's pretty interesting isn't it well again that's like you know some of the protests coming from the corporate debt fallout that was the corporate debt crisis taking place and you know the chinese basically okay a lot of chinese like it doesn't quite happen the same like from what i was gathering when you go to buy property and you're in china like you will buy in and start making payments on a property that doesn't even exist yet just to secure the idea so like this building has a they have this idea well we're going to start this building in a year there's people who will buy into that and start paying. Now, there's people who will do that here, too. But this is, like, I guess, a common thing to do. And they'll start making payments on this on this house you know, or this place, their, their home, way before it's even started. And then you have an issue in which that they don't complete it or they don't do it or it starts to fall through. And then you don't get your money back. So if you have enough people who are in that position and they stop making their mortgage payment, well, that starts causing a flood of people who will stop making their mortgage payment saying, why am I making mine if he's not making his? And then you have a bunch of people starting in on that. Well, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for it, but if you are in a position in which that the property that you had purchased is no longer able to be sold for the price that you had purchased it or promised to pay it at, and you don't even get to live in it, or there's other people who are living in their property and not paying that will cause other people to like same thing that happened here in the United States. I mean, there was plenty of people who could make payments, but they went into forbearance anyway. Like, why would you do that? They were holding on to that money thinking, no, I don't have to make my payments or something. Well, you start getting this attitude towards it. And all of a sudden that's the common theme. That's the common narrative out there. Well, then that's what's going to end up taking place is like, why should I have to pay for a place that I doesn't even get completed? Or why do I have to play for pay for a place that those people aren't paying for? And it's, you know, it's going to be more of that kind of thing happening everywhere. And it, what I find interesting is like, if enough people do it, what are they, what are they going to do about it? Like if everybody decided that they were going to stop making their car payment here in the United States, just so like, nobody's like, nobody's making their car payment anymore. Everybody has like, you know, following this, narrative that hey don't make your car payment how are they going to repo all those cars like some people are just going to be able to keep them they're going to be like well whatever we'll just start writing all this stuff off and try and start over again with new better debts or something but you can't go and take everybody's car from them like you can't there's just no physical way of doing it so if everybody decided all of a sudden to stop making payments on it what are they going to do they have to like you know if it's a protest and it's like a it's like common out there amongst the people to do this and they're all standing together making this protest happen uh, then they don't really like the governments and anybody else they don't really have any choice in the matter they just have to do you know have to figure something else out like write it off and start over or just fail or something we have too many chinese in vancouver and the same practice takes place here condo towers sold out two years in advance yeah. I stopped paying on my 
Bank of America credit card a year ago and they just sold the debt to a collector. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest um I wouldn't suggest not making your payments. Um I did that on my mortgage and it did not turn out to be a very good deal. Um that actually came back to bite me very hard. Uh, I was going into foreclosure on my house and they sent me all kinds of papers and all kinds of stuff, you know, saying, Hey, you need to go to court and you need to do, you know, deal with this stuff. And I just basically threw all those papers away and didn't answer any phone calls and didn't do anything about it. And, oh man, that created a, it took me years to recover from doing that. And when I finally got sent to collections, that guy was like, he was not having it. He was like, dude, you owe me so much money. And you can just make monthly payments or I'll just take it right out of your check. And I'm like, okay, well, what if I came up with like a big chunk of money? Can you just reduce the payments down? And he was like, nope. <laughs> he was like, not happy. He was like, I want all of it. I want every dime that you got and I'm not settling for any less. And I was like, crap. So that sucked. And so I ended up having to make payments to this guy for a long time or else he was just going to garnish it right out of my wages, which was a terrible thing to be in in that position but man when i finally paid that dude off i went down there and i put that money on the table he counted it all up and i was just like i would like a receipt please he goes well we'll mail you one i was like i am not leaving here until you write something up that says i am done with you and so he was like oh well, okay and so he sat down and literally typed one up you know and i'm like yeah thank you <laughs> Um, debt slaves for new planned food crisis, maybe. Yeah, um, that's really where I feel that it would be a really like opportune, oppor geez, a really good opportunity for the government to try and institute that that central bank digital currency is during a crisis. And if you have a food crisis where people are going hungry, they will beg for it. They will be like, yeah, send me that CBDC. I don't care what it is. I need to go down to the store and buy that expensive food that they have down there. And I don't have any money. They will they will take that central bank digital currency. They will be more than happy to accept it. So I, I really feel like it's going to be a major crisis like that. I mean, it could be a debt crisis that does it as well. Um, but really like that's only going to affect the people who are in debt if you hit the food you're going to get everybody you'll get everybody you know only the rich will be able to eat and everybody else will be begging for the central bank central bank digital currency all right hey jaws thank you so much for the 9.99 it's good to see you in recent in a recent video you said you prepay interest for a buffer uh, i made i prepaid my house by my mortgage payments yeah if you have to use that buffer, do you still need to pay your principal and insurance if it's an escrow? Glad to catch you live again. I actually made, I didn't make just the interest payment. I made the mortgage payment. So, and it's not easy to do that. Like I, I kind of keeps you broke, but that's okay. Cause I've already lived broke. Like I living broke is not a big deal to me. Like not having money or not being able to use money for something that's 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 the way i've always been so having a little bit of savings now is not something that i'm really used to so what i did is i started making my payments ahead so like my next payment isn't due until october right now um as soon as i can i'm going to make another payment on it and i'm going to try and keep making payments on my mortgage until i'm six months ahead once i am like i could be out and paid until you know well you know say till christmas or something like that till till december 
And then now until then, I don't have to make a single payment. So if something was to happen, I have like an emergency take place. I got to, you know, like get sick or get hurt or, you know, need to travel somewhere for a reason. And I can't, you know, make my payments during those months. I've already made them. Like I've already, I'm already ahead six months. So when they say like have six months of emergency funds, well, I, my emergency funds now for six months are very minimal. Like I have to make my house payment and insurance and phone. I don't have to make my house payment. I have to make electrical payment. That's it. So electrical, water, phone, insurance. That's it. Those are like my, my expenses. Like I have, I live minimally, incredibly like as minimal as I can. Uh, Thank you, Jaws. You're very kind, man. Uh, let's see here. Debt-free, broken, happy. Yeah. Um, you know, it was funny because when I finally got that debt-free, when I finally paid off the credit cards, I paid off that debt collector, I paid off the credit cards, I had no debt whatsoever. And I had no money, too. Like, I mean, I, I when I got down to $3,000 in cash and had $3,000 debt on my credit card, I went down and paid it off. I did a video. It's on, it's on the channel. After that, like the weight of the world was gone. I was just like, I'm standing in line and I'm like, everything seems better. Like I'm happier. I can enjoy the music. Everything about like, there was no, there was no like stress or consequences or anything going on. Like in my life just felt so perfect after I got out of that damn debt. You know, of course, you know, it's a kind of like a high, like anything else it eventually fades. And then you end up going back into debt when you buy a mortgage or buy a house, you know, take on a mortgage, but the, um, the idea of being completely out of debt, like do not have debt collectors coming after you is a much better feeling than anything else. A lot of people don't realize it. Like I look at a lot of people, I'm 47 years old. I'm going to be 48 here next week. And I look at a lot of other people who are almost 50 years old and I think, man, they look hammered. Like they look wore out and stressed out and tired and just like beat up and I look at myself and I look at my wife and I'm like, what happened here? How come we're not like, you know, like, you know, we're not all grayed out. We don't have a, you know, look aged out or something. I guess a lot of it has to do with we didn't smoke. Like smoking cigarettes, I think, has a lot to do with that. But honestly, I think it had more to do with like the fact that we weren't really stressed out because of the debts. Like the house, like when I bought the mortgage on the house in 07, when I bought that, that's really where I felt a lot of stress. And until like, I don't know, five years ago, I guess, five, six years ago is when that stress kind of relieved. And so there was a short time there that I felt like a lot of stress. But even during that, I just ended up just kind of accepting the fact that I was in debt and broke and I had a little hobby farm. And so like we didn't really ask for much or want for much. We just kind of entertained ourselves and just hung out on that little hobby farm playing around with the chickens and and raising a garden and stuff and still we didn't have much stress going on then either um you know there was a couple of moments there where it got really kind of ugly you know especially when i didn't have a car to drive to work but that's that's kind of how we lived our life and so i think about that a lot is just like stress really ages you bad and being in debt like a severe debt you got your car payment house payment credit card payment you got the you know everything else you got these weird debts out there for medical or something like that and you have them constantly like on you, like you got your student loan debt that's always nipping at the back of your head there or something. That is stress. That that will is continuous. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about that. Well, 
if you don't have that in your life, then you don't have to worry about that kind of stress. And I think it does, does you much better. I mean, most people get stuck into a survival mood when they, when they have that much debt on them. You're a young Gregory Peck. Yeah, a lot of people have said that. <laughs> uh, my daughter says, hi, she likes to listen to me babble about economic stuff. She says, hey, dad, the guy in his car that talks about your stuff is on. Yeah, right on. Um, somebody else was telling me that that uh, that their girlfriend told him it was just like, hey, call me over when Man and Car is on. You know, so he has like his list of YouTubers he goes through, and when I come on, I say, hey, Man and Car is on. And so, anyway, I should. That's what I should have called my podcast, Man and Car. All right, I had very expensive property that owned me. Cheap and cheerful is better, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Um, you know, I think about like, you know, I could go buy a new car. Like, I could get rid of this old Corolla and go drive pretty much whatever I want. But I don't want the debt payment. Like, I don't, I don't really want to have this big old debt payment and then the, you know, full coverage insurance. Which, if I got a new car, I'd probably full cover it anyway. But, you know, I don't want this debt payment. I don't want this stress. I don't want any of that stuff. This car does not stress. Like, when I look at this car and I get in this car, it's like it tickles. I'm just so tickled by it, you know, it's just like, man, it gets good gas mileage, the insurance is super cheap, and I paid $500 for it three years ago. <laughs> when does the Fed want us to think they will pivot? Okay, uh, uneducated economist is a huge, is huge with the kids. Yeah, um, okay, let me answer the first one, and then I'll go to that one. Um, the Fed, because that's a very interesting question, when do they... Right now, they put out the, the the idea, right? They're putting out the credible threat. 1% interest hike, seven, a quarter, three quarter, you know, 75, excuse me, 75 basis point, 100 basis point rate hike. You know, they keep talking about these, this, um, or, you know, whatever, these, these, they, okay, let me see if I can explain this. So they put out the credible threat that they're going to be raising interest rates. So you got this three quarter of a point interest rate perception that's going to be out there they put out the narrative and hit the people with it, the job owning the credible threat the the forward guidance the markets then condition themselves to be in that position so that when the fed goes and lifts the interest rates there's no shock to the market so i think about this like they are putting out this idea that they are going to be raising interest rates three quarters of a percentage point and everybody like is flipping out oh man this is going to cause so much damage to the economy and stuff like that no it's not it's like it's not going to damage the markets at all the damage was happening when they said it that's where the damage comes in so they have conditioned the markets to be prepared for that now that's see that's another thing like mortgages really haven't moved in the last three months like they have gone up and down and stuff but for the last few months they've tra been around that six percent or so six percent thirty year for a 30 year mortgage. So if they really wanted to like lift mortgage rates even higher, they would have to put out an even more credible threat than that. They would be like, man, we're going to raise interest rates like one and a half percent. But then, then the markets would be like, crap, that's a lot. So they're going to start moving the interest rates up higher before they even get there. But you can see the market's not really that concerned about it. I mean, they are, the interest rates are rising. You got an inverted yield curve taking place. So there's a lot of concern for the short term. But really, for the longer term, 30 years, they're not that scared about it. Like, the markets immediately condition themselves for lifting of interest rates, but they really can't, you know, they're not lifting them much higher than where they are. 
we'll find out more after this next meeting. And then if they put out that credible threat again, hey, we're going to go up another, you know, 70, you know, three quarters of a point or a whole interest, you know, point again. If they put out that kind of narrative and then you see the mortgage rates start to rise, but if they don't rise, well, that's the conditioning of the market. The market is saying, hey, we want mortgages here at this six and a half percent, no matter what the Federal Reserve says. So the forward guidance is really conditioning the markets to almost act as if it's free market. Like, you know, like they don't even know, like they're going to like, man, we're just going to go for it and figure out where it is that we want to be based off of the idea that the Fed is going to lift interest rates. Okay. So how do we know when they're going to reserve or reverse their course or pivot their, their guidance or pivot their Fed funds, you know, lifting of interest rates and move the other way. I'm waiting for the term, we are going to be data dependent before they announce what the interest rates are going to be. That is going to make the market start to like flip out. Like, where do we want to be? Are they going to lift them? Are they going to drop them? Where do we need to go? And the markets will start conditioning themselves for that. Like, where do we really want to be? If the Fed lifts or if, the, if they drop, if they're data dependent before they come out with the next statement, the markets will start conditioning themselves for that and say, okay, well, we need to figure out where it is that we truly want to be because we don't know where the Fed's going to, what, what the Fed is going to say. So then after that, if the markets don't do it high enough, then they'll lift the interest rates. If they do it too high or high enough, then they'll say, hey, we might just pause until the next meeting. That's what I'm looking for. I'm waiting for them to say we are data dependent on what we are going to say at the next meeting. That's, that's going to be their pivoting. And then whether they actually pivot at that point is, is still going to be questionable. I mean, they still could raise interest rates after that if the market doesn't really believe that the interest rate should be higher. You know? I, told, I hope I said all that right. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jaws, thank you again for the four ninety nine. One request. Please put all, to, put, uh, put all longer streams up on a podcast much easier to digest than video if I can't watch live. You can find you can find my podcast at the uneducatedeconomist.com website. Just there's a you know all the links are right there off to the off to the side. Um, but if you go to wherever you listen to podcasts at, the name of the podcast show is You Guys Let Me Know. So if you really want to find the podcast, you can go to my YouTube my uh, not my YouTube channel, but the uh, Uneducated Economist website. And you can find the links for it there, or you guys let me know, and you can find that I post every video. Actually, I don't do it. Chandler does it. She's she's awesome. She helps me out with a lot of the tech tech stuff like that. But uh, she she posts that on every every video goes up on the podcast, and then a lot of the interviews that I do with other people they go up on the podcast as well. So yeah, if you want to listen to this stuff as opposed to watching it on YouTube, just yeah, head on over to you guys let me know. Or go over to my website, uneducatedeconomist.com, and you can find the link for it there. And I would appreciate it if everybody started listening to that podcast. I was really trying to spread that a lot more, um, you know, because it's just another... We do have it monetized. Um, you know, there's just a simple commercial that we put at the beginning of it. It's not, you know, it's not too too lengthy or anything like that. And, um, you know, so we do make a little bit of revenue doing it that way. Um so yeah, if you wanted to listen to these as opposed to watching them, as, as opposed to watching them, you can find that at the uh, "You Guys Let Me Know" podcast. Thank you very much, Kenny Gomez, for the five dollars. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for the super sticker. All right. Um, what was the other one? Something about kids watching. I'm sorry, I forgot to respond to that one. Um, oh yeah, uneducated economist is huge with the kids. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting. Um, 
listen how how many young people have actually come to me and said hey man i love your show like they're in their 20s or whatever and i'm thinking man that is so cool that because when i was 20 years old i was not interested in economics at all i wasn't interested in anything other than beer and weed um that was my life back then i had no interest in in economics and not that i could even understand what anybody was saying anyway but to find people like, you know, young people who are in their 20s, you know, even in their early 30s, I mean, that's like awesome. Like, I mean, to 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 try and take on the understanding of of what's going on in macroeconomics is like it's a life thing. Like once you once you dive into this, you're you're not going to just back away from it. It becomes like part of you and almost like an obsession. I mean, it did for me anyway. And I just couldn't get enough of it. Like I, and that was another thing, like not taking any classes on economics. I didn't have any base to go off of. So I had to build like my own base, like what the hell is what? And anytime anybody said something that I didn't understand, I would go to Google and search that out. Um, You know, especially like the lingo was just so, so confusing, you know, especially when you got some dude who's really trying to sound smart and he starts talking like in with, with languages that, with a language that just nobody understands or uses like, you know, saying stuff like haircuts, you know, like how are people supposed to really understand what a haircut is? And, you know, a lot of people like they misunderstand that too. Like they think a haircut is when you take a loss on, on like a stock or something like that. Like the stock goes under what, like under what you paid for it and you sold it for less than what you paid for it. A lot of people will claim that as being a haircut, but that's not really what it is. It's more of the amount of, money that you have to put up in order to buy a stock on margin and when you have that margin requirement lifting then you have to take a haircut essentially you don't get as much money out of that or you have to put up more money in order to get the same amount of profit off of it so like your profit actually goes down when you have to put up more money onto the with a margin requirement um lifting that that is really what the haircut is. That's like when you're not getting as much profit when you buy something on margin because you have to put up more money for it. At least that's the way I understood it. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Jaws, thank you so much again for the $1.99. Spotify, miss some longer ones. We'll check website. All right. Uh, Michael, $1.99. Thank you so much. Will SDRs lead to UBI? Big fan, new silver guy. Um, well, this... Okay, will the special drawing rights lead to a UBI? Um I don't think so. I, I don't I don't know I mean I don't know how those two would kind of relate to to each other as far as that being like one causing the other. Um I really feel like if UBI is comes into existence here, like on a broad scale, like every this is another thing like, well, it'll be UBI, but you have to make like a certain or under a certain income. Well, that's not UBI. UBI is universal basic income. Everybody gets the exact same amount. That's universal basic income. Now, if that was to happen, it's going to look awesome for like a minute. Like people will be very like happy with this idea. The only problem is, is that's diving into luxuries. Okay. So if you don't, have to work for it and you get to go out and buy it that's that's a luxury right and so if you have more people diving into luxuries then that's a sign that you're coming to the end that's the end of the system there so ubi is really probably like one of the telling signs that the the economy is truly failing and 
again, people aren't going to recognize that for what it is. Um, and that's the thing, like what I found with a lot of people saying, no, they tested UBI in this particular area and it totally worked out well. Well, yeah, if you like take a group of people, right, and you draw a circle around them and you give them a particular, then yeah, that's going to look so much different than things outside that circle. I mean, it's going to be like, yeah, look, it worked here. Well, yeah, you're comparing it to people who don't have it. If everybody has it, then you have nothing to compare it to. Then you don't realize the true effects of this stuff. So you can like take a group of people and say, hey, we gave these people UBI and their life got so much better to the people who didn't have UBI. <laughs> no kidding, right? I mean, if all those other people had UBI, those uh, the people who got it originally would suffer just as much as the everybody else who got it. Right. Um, moving on here. Universal basic income. Okay, so what comes after UBI economic failure? Reset to actual capitalism? Um, well, yeah, I mean, poverty, right? I mean, that's like everybody suffers. And that's the thing, like, when when the nation falls into poverty, like the entire nation, like you get to this point where it just swells and everybody's looking awesome and the dollar is really strong and all of a sudden it pops and then everybody starts falling into poverty because, you know, the dollar's worthless and it's hyperinflation scenario, whatever. There are going to be people who like benefit from that incredibly. Like they're going to grow fabulously super rich by doing that, by, by that scenario and being able to position themselves for it. Most people are going to suffer immensely from it. But there are going to be people who do quite well. So understand, understanding it and positioning yourself to take advantage of that situation, that's really what you want to do. I mean, you think about it. There is a huge wedge being driven between the rich and the poor. The poor, they're going to accept it because pretty much they're going to make them happy. Like owning nothing and being happy. I mean, you think about that. Can you imagine a situation in which that you were happy by not owning anything? Is because everything is like so convenient for you. You don't have to worry about owning a car because, you know, you got Uber, Lyft taking you wherever you want. You don't have to worry about like going out to get food because, you know, DoorDash brings it to you. Then when you live in a life that is completely surrounded by that, that is incredible luxury, right? That is huge luxury taking place. And now the people who can't afford that, they're going to be on the other side of the wedge, right? That's happening there. Now, if they make it to the point that you're under that wedge, but yet you're enjoying all those things out there, that's really the Cantillon effect taking taking place, right? That's the separation between the wealth of you know those who have and those who have not. It's the protecting of the idea because you got all this money coming in, so everybody's diving into luxury. So even if they took care of those people with luxuries, it's still eventually going to come to an end. So the people will be totally accepting it. They won't protest. They'll be like, yeah, go ahead. And I mean, whatever happens to it happens. And I'm not going to stress about owning anything because you guys make it such a pain in the ass to own stuff, you know, talking about the new world order or whatever coming down. They'll just be happy with it. They'll be like, hey, man, life is good anyway. Right? And then they're not realizing that it was all these luxuries that they were getting that's actually going to drive them into poverty. Because it all comes to an end. I mean, it just, that's the way it is. The people who recognized it well, like, man, I am not getting luxuries. I'm not getting new cars. I'm loading up on gold and silver, Bitcoin, and all the other stuff that's outside of the, the government's control. They're the ones who are going to come on the other side of it, on the on the upper side of that wedge. Yeah. Take your money from the bank. Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little earlier. Uh, let's see here. Living on ride services and food delivery is super expensive. It is right now, but it won't be when it's UBI. You know? 
Uh, then they will pull back and you get peanuts. That's it. That's exactly right. Then they pull back and you will get peanuts. Yeah. Um, better control property than to own it. That's, a, I totally agree with you. you know I, mean? I totally agree with that. There will be no basic income. The next system is the beast system. Okay. When you live a life of incredible luxury, you become complacent and a trophy atrocity I don't know. It's, uh, sets in life requires struggles and hard work to create meaning and value that's right it really does I mean you know the greatest things in life come from suffering the people who have like you find anybody out there who has ever achieved any kind of greatness in their life and you talk about their they talk about their life they all have suffered immense like they have gone through some serious pain and suffering in order to get to the positions that they're in. Hardly anybody ever works super hard to acquire the things that they have without having some sort of suffering in their life. There are people who do it. I mean, it's hap I mean, people do it all the time. But for the most part, people need to go through some serious pain and suffering to know that that's not the life that they want to live. And they change the way they do things. And then pretty soon they just won't have it any other way. And subconsciously they will not go back into that, but they will only go forward because that's the only thing that they're thinking of. It can be actually detrimental to them in the end, because a lot of people will get so stuck on this idea that they have to move forward. They have to acquire, they have to get these things in order to, you know, provide for their family. And then one day they look behind themselves and their whole family is just like, dude, you were not here for us. What, you know, you went and worked so hard. You dedicated your life to your business and employees and making money and stuff that you forgot about us growing up over here and living life. And then they just, you know, what did you work for? Absolutely nothing. All right. You guys should look up Pleasure Cubes by Brit Monkey on YouTube. Huh. Interesting. All right. Uh, hit the like button. Love your channel. Yes, please do so. There's 402 of you, 286 likes. Hit that like button a few more times and we can get more people up in here. All right. Um, invest during bloodbath. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you know, when people are crying on the streets, when you see incredibly good deals, you know, the way Jim Rogers says it, when you see a pile of money sitting in the corner, you go pick it up. And it seems so difficult when everybody is saying, man, I lost all this money. I don't have any money, you know, because of like all these asset depreciation that took place. That's when you're like, so you lost a bunch, did you? How much? You know, what did you buy into? What are you losing it in? Because I'm going to go pick that up, right? Bunch of money sitting in the corner. I listened to a couple of people just recently. They're talking about their stock portfolios. I don't know if I went over this. Um, I was talking to somebody else about this earlier, so I think I might have mentioned this earlier already in this live stream. But I was talk overhearing somebody talking about their stock portfolio. And more than one person has said this. I lost like $17,000 over the last few months. And I'm thinking, no, you didn't. You didn't make or lose anything, right? You didn't take advantage of the situation at the time. You didn't sell out when you could have. Like, you didn't lose anything. You didn't, because you didn't sell anything. So, if you actually lost, like, lost it, that means you have sold out and you have no opportunity to ever get it back. That's, that's losing it, right? Other than that, you're, the valuation of your portfolio, that is fluctuating. And there is no loss or gain until you actually sold or buy. So that's really where 
where I think a lot of people are just so like, is what causes the wealth effect, okay? This is another thing. When people have like this stock portfolio that just goes up by like, you know, you had the stock portfolio that goes up $100,000 in a year and you're thinking, man, I made $100,000 and you're out there and you buy a car and you go on vacation and you buy some nice clothes and you're like, ah, that's okay, I'll... I'll drink cappuccinos every single day, you know, or however, you know, whatever it is that they enjoy their luxuries. And they never sold any to pay for that stuff, right? They just had this idea that they had $100,000 that they could always go get from the stock market. And they just started living life as if they had cashed it out and started spending that money. Well, that's the wealth effect it taking place. And people feel real comfortable spending money when they have this stock portfolio that goes up by so much. Well, the exact opposite happens too. This guy who lost $17,000 in the last three months, who probably made $100,000 over the last three years, you know, well, all of a sudden he's tight. He doesn't want to buy coffee. He doesn't want to go out to eat. He's feeling mad about it. And now it's like, you know, he's not going to the movies. He's not going to buy gas. He's not going to do nothing because he lost $17,000 in the stock market that he never really had to begin with. So this wealth effect, it works both ways. And I think that's what like causes a lot of the overwhelming consumer demand out there, you know, or at least this idea of this overwhelming consumer demand is that people think that they have a lot of money when the stock market goes up. And then when it goes, they think they lost a lot of money when they didn't really have it to begin with. All right. Simon was the name of my first hamster. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see here. The sheriff is a drunk. Yeah. Basically, if they want you to be arrested, it happens. Yeah, I could see that. That's where knowing your rights is incredibly important. And I know a lot of people probably argue with that. But you also have to understand that almost everybody of authority has done some sort of, you know, committed to oath, you know, where they have basically express their oath to the constitution saying that they will uphold it and protect it at any time and if you go out there and you know your rights your constitutional rights you know especially when it comes to like you know county county sheriffs are are at least the ones that i know of are all very much into constitutional rights and you know you start you know expressing your rights and and for you know say hey i expect you to honor these things they do like i mean I'm not saying like, you know, every one of them does or the ones that you experience, but I, from the experience that I've seen, you know, you start talking rights, you know, you start talking your fourth amendment, you know, it verbatim and you're like spitting it out because it's cemented into your tongue. Yeah. You, you hold a little bit more power than the average person who is just, you know, I know my rights, you know, you better know them. You better not just say it. you better know them. Yeah. All right. How's them small business loans markets looking? I boy I don't know like I see I hear a lot of people are very nervous especially when it comes to the small businesses you know they they expanded their their business thinking that we were going to be going into this booming time and a lot of people were talking about it so it does concern me I mean are we going to have like you know massive business closings just because they can't pay their debts any longer it's very possible I mean you think about it, small businesses are the biggest employer in the entire country. Like there's nobody else who employs more people than the small businesses do. And the Federal Reserve is talking about knocking the heads off of these zombie. Well, I don't know about zombie corporations, but that's what I'm saying because they're going to lift the interest rates. But 
if they start putting pressure on these small businesses who can't roll debts into new debts at a cheaper price or it just becomes ever more increasingly burdensome on them to make the payments, then, yeah, they can end up losing their their businesses as well. And that's what the Fed is really looking for, rising unemployment. All right. Recession will possibly be announced July 28th if the GDP goes negative for the second consecutive quarter. Get ready for some cheap luxury assets. Yeah, I could see that we will officially be in recession by by that announcement. Um, I It's just, you know, it's gotten to the point now that, you know, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everybody is conditioning themselves to, you know, for a recession. It's hard to think that there wouldn't be one coming, you know, much like a inflation is a self-fulfilling prophecy with panic buying and, you know, allocation you know, over ordering because of allocations and stuff like that, you know, that causes inflation. So this inflation like expectation will actually get people to cause inflation to happen. All right. You should watch the video of the black student who knows his rights. Um, I don't know my rights, but my iPhone does. Well, you, how, but You can't, like, in the middle of trying to deal with whether or not your rights are being infringed to say, okay, hold on one second, I'm going to look this up and I'm going to see for sure before we have this conversation any further. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to know them right now, like, as it's happening. And so, and you also have to know the right questions and the right statements to ask, you know? I mean, especially, like, you know, for example, you're not doing anything some you know law enforcement officer comes up and says what are you doing here and you know like it's minding my business you know okay you got to explain why you're here i want to see your id who what's your name what are you doing blah 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 and you you don't have to answer any of this stuff and in fact the only thing you have to say is am i being detained and if he says yes then you can ask at that point what crime have i committed committing or about to commit and if you cannot answer that then you're not you're not detained i mean he can say it all he wants you can say no you can't go anywhere but then if you ask him, am I being detained? Am I free to go? And he says anything other than you're committing a crime, then you're free to go, all right? Now, whether or not you're going to be able to walk away from him, you don't have to answer any more questions. And if you have done nothing wrong, chances of you getting arrested are really slim. Now, failure to produce ID when a crime has not been committed is not a crime within itself. You got to remember that. that If a crime cannot be, like, if he cannot state that you have committed a committed committing or about to commit a crime if there is no evidence of that then you don't have to you don't you don't have to give up to that authority right understand that i mean you have to understand that right but if you don't you're going to fall right into it you'll hand over your license you'll you know say i oh, man i'm at this party or whatever and you know pretty soon oh i only had one beer and you don't have to answer any of that stuff. Like, you don't have to answer any questions. You can keep your mouth completely shut and never say a word to a police officer. In fact, there was a Supreme Court justice. Um, God, what was his name? It was something really simple, like Johnson. I think he was from the 50s. And you could, you could probably Google Supreme Court, you know, Justice Johnson or something like that from the 50s. Never, he's, he said, he quote, he was quoted saying, I'm, this isn't exactly the quote, but he said something to this effect. Never under any circumstances should you ever say anything to a police officer ever. 
Right? You don't have to say anything to anybody. You can keep your mouth shut 100% of the time. In fact, it's better that you do. Silence is golden. So other than identifying yourself, that's it. You like If you committed a crime, you have to identify yourself, right? You have to show up your lights. You got pulled over for speeding. You're jaywalking. You're doing something. You have to identify yourself. After that, you're done. You don't have to say another word. And everything that you do say is completely voluntary. Yeah. In fact, if you listen to most lawyers, they're like, yeah, you know, if you don't say a, if you don't say a word, most likely that is like the best thing for a defense lawyer is just like, gosh, you are so smart to not have said anything, you know. Uh, when everyone is poor, we will pay, play a metaverse with lizards. <laughs> Sounds fun. All right. Hair salons acted collectively in California, therefore the state... Acquis what does that say? Acquisite? <laughs> um, I guess gave in to their demands to open up, huh? All right. Uh, when everyone is... Well, we already read that one. All right. Uh, after weak contracts failed in September, going to crash the markets. Yeah, I guess it could. Let's see. What do we got up here? Oath keepers give out pocket copies of the Bill of Rights and Constitution. I keep a I keep a copy of the uh, Constitution on my desk at work, and yeah, I know the Bill of Rights. I mean, I memorized that stuff a long time ago. But really, out of the entire Bill of Rights, the one that you truly have to know by heart is the Fourth Amendment: the rights of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects from unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation particularly describing the places to be searched and the persons and things to be seized. Memorize that one. If you know that one, you will be able to protect your rights. That's like the big one. So if somebody comes knocking on the door, hey, let us in, show me the warrant. You know, if you ain't got a warrant, I'll, no. If you, if you truly need to be in here and you need to search this place, I'm going to stand out over here in the living room. I'll put my hands behind my head and you can kick the door in, all right? That's the way you're going to get into this house because I'm not opening the door. But if you got a warrant to come in, then you got a warrant, right? There's nothing I can do to prevent that. But don't voluntarily open the door. Let them kick it in. I mean, that's like, you know, what they're going to do. And just don't be violent about it. It's like, okay, I'm going to stand over here. Don't hurt me, you know? <laughs> Cash is king. Only stack that for now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be short-lived. I mean, stacking cash is a very, it's like you... When it when it looks awesome and everybody's like, dude, you were so right about holding cash. That's when you get out. That's like the moment that you see that it's like doing awesome. That's when you start getting out of that stuff because you're like, man, this is it. It's coming to an end. All right, aqueist, aqua, oh, aqua, I still can't say it. Aqueist. <laughs> I am so bad at speaking the English language. It's surprising that you all listen to me. Okay. Uh, time to rebrand to the constitutional economist. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't really fall into politics is because not a single one of them believes constitutionally. They don't act or behave like with a constitutional mindset. Congress doesn't do it. Like, I mean, there was Ron Paul, maybe Rand Paul, but... Most of these guys, they just, they, they do not follow the Constitution. And at least not in my opinion, not, not with any kind of respect. And so, like, you know, trying to be a constitutionalist inside of this democracy, you know, it's just like, it's horseshit. It doesn't, it, 
it just doesn't flow well. <laughs> All right. Well, love you too, Bloom. Thank you. All right. They have cog cognitive. I see. I terrible dissidents. <laughs> just not dissident. Disson dissonance. God. <laughs> I need. You know what I need is a speech therapist. That's what I need. All right. Simon is great. Thank you. Except for speaking. Have you read any of the articles out about low employee retention and people choosing to not work anymore? Yeah, and I just don't understand how it is that they can pay their bills. Like, how is it like, man, I don't want to work anymore. I'm not going to. I mean, I guess you can end up like these guys over here. I mean, they got a tent and a bicycle, and that's about all they have. I mean, I guess those guys don't work, so I, mean, I guess it's possible. Um, but I don't understand how that works. And then, like... Have you heard of this, like, quietly quitting? Like, they didn't actually, like, quit or ghost their job or anything like that. They show up, but they do the absolute bare minimum. And not even, like, do the bare minimum. Like, they don't do anything at all. Like, unless, like, you know, like, they just feel too embarrassed that they can't not, that they can't sit there anymore. So they get up and do something. But they're, like, this showing up literally for eight hours to sit and collect a paycheck and not do any work at all. Like this is like a movement going across, like it's called quietly quitting. I just heard about people doing this. And I mean, you know, there's been time in my life where like I got depressed and stuff and I wasn't performing very well. And the other people around me were like, you know, dude, you're not pulling your weight around here. You know, you need to do more stuff. Um, you know, there's that kind of thing that happens, but not like, because you're just like, you know, ah, screw it. I don't want a job, but I really want the paycheck. So I'm just going to show up and not do anything. Like that's not generally the case. Like most people who aren't doing anything or not doing well at work who had done well at work at one time, it's because they got something else going on in their life, you know, that, you know, it's causing issues, you know, whether it's massive debt or depression or, you know, whatever bankruptcies. Do, do, do. Okay, I have worked a lot of factory jobs, hell on earth, and old timers limping around. The last place I worked, I didn't have fridges except for oh, fridges except for the factory store. Time penalties if you're late by one second. Uh, yeah, um, I can see that happening at factories. Factories don't really like; they're not like family places. Like I've always. You know, like the place I work for now is totally family owned place and I have worked for corporations, but the people who like managed and worked those businesses, those stores, they had more of a feeling of like, you know, family first kind of attitude. But like I can see where factory work is just like you're just another part. You're just another part in the system. And if you're a broken part, get them out of here and put a new part in. You know? Congressman Thomas Massey from Kentucky Constitutionalist. Look him up. All right. Um. I don't know. I'm not. I've. 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 I'm done with politics. I'm just like. I'm not interested. There was a time when I knew everybody. I knew all the all the senators and all the Congress and all the everybody. Like, and I followed it and I listened. To, like, you know, got all upset about like you know particular bills that were being pushed through Congress or whatever. I used to get like real upset about some of these things and would read them and analyze and talk about them and stuff. And then realized. None of that stuff made any difference in my life. And it was when I gave up on all that and just started, like, that's it. I'm following the money and nothing else. Then my life started to change. And that's when I realized, man, this is like, it's just a, what do they call that? A dog and pony show. That's really what I feel like, you know, government is. It's just something to entertain the people and keep their minds off the money. Although they do talk a lot about the money. It's not, not real talk. It's all 
it's not it's nothing important and, and then they don't yeah. <laughs> never mind Okay, I work in the film industry, long winters, come back here, of work and spring, summer off. Used to used this break to plan and sell my apartment, accept offer and hoping it goes through, cash position. We need 32-hour work weeks. Why? I mean, I, why? No, we don't. We need 60-hour work weeks. I mean, people need to work 60 hours a week. They need to work from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. That's what I do. Like, I mean, as soon as I wake up, I'm thinking about the next video or, you know, answering emails or trying to make some sort of, like, you know, networking connection. Then I go to work. And then I work for, you know, trade my time for dollars for eight hours. And then after that, I try and do the same thing, make a video or go and call bingo or try and do something that's going to be earning money like it's constant for me there is never a time where i'm not thinking of the pursuit or you know the like the channel or my work or you know doing something like it's from the time i wake up to the time i go to bed and the only breaks that i have of not pursuing like business or money or the channel or something is when i'm interacting or playing with my family like playing board games or video games or taking them to the movies or having dinner those are the only times that I try and break away from from work, from trying to work. So, no, we don't need 32-hour work weeks. We need 60-hour work weeks or more. <laughs> no way should anyone work that much, let alone five days a week. Well, why not? I mean, I don't understand that. I, I do not understand that. I mean, if you want to get ahead in your life, if I mean, if you want everything handed to you, then I could understand that, like, that idea i mean that's like a ubi kind of thought you know it's just like why don't you just give me everything i need and i don't have to work like the pursuit of like struggling and work that's what drives people into doing better with their lives and you know gives you more respect for the things that you do i mean i don't know how to explain it but you know if you don't have like that kind of attitude towards it like i've, I've heard people say this in the past and it just drives me nuts i mean i even have a close friend who says this I don't like money. I, money's not important to me, right? Or money can't buy you happiness. Like I hear this stuff all the time. And yeah, a lot of that is true. Money shouldn't be important. And money does suck. And you're right. It doesn't buy you happiness. But there's never been a situation in my life where money didn't help at some point. You know, it's whether it was fixing the flat tire or buying you food or doing something. And if you put into your mind, I don't like money. I don't care. It's not, it's not important to me and it can't buy you happiness. If you put those things into your mind, I guarantee you, your subconscious will prevent you from making money. It will guarantee you, you will be broken poor. Yeah. So don't, don't think that way. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're going to have that kind of attitude towards it, say like, I want to have so much money that it's no longer important to me. Right. Would that be much be a better like, you know, thing to think of? It was just like money's not important. I want so much of it that it's no longer important. Right. That would be a much better scenario to be in. Your subconscious will pick that up and like provide you with as much money as you could possibly need. And then it won't be important to you anymore. But to say that it's not important to me and I live broke and I can't get out of this being broke because money sucks and everybody who has it sucks, too. I mean, that's like you're guaranteeing yourself to be broke and poor for the rest of your life. All right, congratulations, 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 Simon. You have an entrepreneurial mindset. Well, thank you. I mean, it's been, 
it's been a long time to get here. I mean, I haven't always been that way. And, you know, now that I understand you are what you think about, like, you can make anything happen in your life. You can have anything you want in your life. So long as it's a worthy goal that you have to pursue and you put it in your head and you just commit to it and don't deviate from that, you will acquire the things that you need in life, but far beyond, like make a goal that is so beyond reach that you're just like, there's no way that you can acquire it. There's just no possible way. And even if you don't get to it, what you will get to is going to be absolutely amazing. So set your goals incredibly high, like way beyond anything you would ever think you could achieve. And then see what comes from that. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like, I remember there was a time in my life before I even, like, just as I started studying economics, I said, wow, I'm really into this stuff. And I started talking a lot about it. And I said, man, someday I would like to be able to be on stage and speak in front of people. And one day I would like to meet Ron Paul. Well, I came pretty close to that one day. Like, I mean, Ron Paul was on stage. I was in the position. He was right over there. I didn't go up there and interrupt him or anything, but I was very close to him. And I, that same day, I was on stage speaking to the same crowd that he was speaking to. So, like, those things happened. And it was happened, like, I thought of that 10 years ago before any anything was even remotely a possibility for me. But it was been in my head ever since. And then it, and it happened, you know. So, I mean, I don't know how that took place, but it eventually happened. Uh, like a huge goal. Like a Dodge Stratus. Yeah. Like, huge, right? <laughs> Oh, there we go. We're back. Okay. Do think Powell will give us 100 basis points next week? I hope so. Well, Powell isn't going to do anything. He's going to state what the Federal Open Market Committee has voted on. Remember, Powell doesn't make decisions. Powell is just some dude out there who has a voice for the Federal Open Market Committee. So everybody is like focused in on like Powell and his decision. It's not his decision. He's not deciding anything. It's the federal open market committee who's deciding it. So with that being said, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a uh, hundred basis points. I mean, saw like a 1% increase. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, but it's like, even though, even if it is, it's still, I feel that the markets have, have priced that in. So I don't think it's going to have much impact on the, on the markets themselves. The economy will feel the effects of that in about six months to a year. That's when you really have to be concerned about what the interest rates are and what the Federal Reserve has done with their Fed funds rate. But the impact to the markets, thats it's going to have very little impact. And people are going to be like, wow, we're surprised that, you know, the Federal Reserve lifted a three quarters of a point and the markets went down, you know, or went up or whatever. They're going to say something and it'd be like, you know, that's already been priced in. You know, <laughs> So whatever happens that day is just... It's the people who were making their decisions off of that, you know, instead of actually conditioning themselves to be in the position already. Yeah. And that'll be, it won't be nearly as impactful as people think. Simon, you did, did it at the Rebel Capitalist Live. Yeah, I did. At the Rebel Capitalist Live event, I was, got up 700 people. I mean, it was absolutely incredible and spoke for an hour, like, I mean, I've been in front of the crowds before, you know, calling bingo or doing the play like I did the, the acting. But that that theater, I mean, the day that we did the play, I think there was like maybe 30 people in the crowd. It was still one of the most incredible experiences I ever had. And um, God, I missed that. That was so much fun. It was so much fun to do that. 
man. I, I, God, damn that COVID. I mean, we did one show, they locked the theater, then they shut the theater down. We did, like, we did all these rehearsals for months and months. I mean, it was, like, every day, three hours a day, you know, for, like, three months. And then we do the one show, and then that was up. It was over. At least I got to do it, you know. Uh, Simon, today a banker told me he has begun to see many layoffs and jobs, and this was in North Austin. Yeah, um, it's happening. I mean, it's going to happen. Like I said, it's going to happen over the course, you know, of the next few months, years, whatever it's going to take. But the uh, the idea that we're going to have like massive layoffs causing like unemployment to rise, I think that's going to be a little like. I don't think it's going to be as bad as people think it is. Uh, I think this is going to be like one of the first recessions that we actually go into where we don't have massive unemployment. You know, it's going to be massive layoffs, but those layoffs are going to move over to more viable companies. So at the same time, we see a lot of layoffs. We're not going to see the unemployment rising. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, at least for a little while. Lots of, laugh out loud, dude. You're still alive. Yeah, I am still alive. We've been going, what, almost two hours now. What time is it? Um, 7.30, I got about 30% power on my battery, so we'll give it another, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or something, maybe a half hour. Um, love you, brother, thank you. All right, China is also having problems with their real estate market. Do you think China is coming for the number one spot? Um, it's number one spot in what, like the world dominating economic power. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's happening. And I think they're, I think they tried to prevent it a little bit by, you know, holding back on their manufacturing, but I, I don't think that's going to last. Um, they will eventually end up being the, the power, the economic power. Um, if things continue the way they are like, but that's not, that's not going to happen because like, I mean, you can say yes for the conditions that they are in right now, like the way things are going, but I don't think that's going to last. Like eventually we're going to get to a point where we're going to have this huge sovereign debt, corporate debt crisis. And the idea of like one nation's currency taking over as a world reserve currency, I, I mean, that, that it would go to China. Like that's that would be the next people who are in line for it. But I don't think it's really going to happen. I think it's probably going to move into a central bank digital currency and be like a basket of currencies that ends up being like the world reserve currency that would leave like no country or nation with that sort of like power and benefit like the United States has. People don't realize like, I don't think they realize like our standard of living would not even remotely be this good if we didn't have a world reserve currency. We don't produce enough to actually have a decent standard of living. We just lend or borrow money to have this standard of living. And the people are more than happy to not to throw stuff and money at us. It's like, it's kind of ridiculous that it goes this way. But we protect the shipping and we protect the, you know, the system that transfers all this funds around and stuff. So until that ends, I don't know, it's going to be a difficult, difficult road to transfer to another country's or another nation's currency to be the world reserve currency. I just, I, I find that the country that would be heading towards that road would be like scared to do it. If they have, if they have any sense about them, they would be scared to do that simply because that once you get to a point where it peaks, then it's over and there is no returning. Like you cannot return back from it. You will go into massive poverty and there will be, it, it'll be ugly. Yeah. And it's going to happen. I mean, it's eventually going to happen to the United States. It's just, 
how that looks and when it happens, I mean, that's anybody's guess. Yeah. I'm with you, man. The time for slack is done. Yeah. No slacking. Which country they choose is the front, including the U.S.? All right. Locked and loaded. If I show it, I blow it. Protect your head and neck. All right. Uh, given the Cantillon uh, effect... The, okay. Given the Cantillon effect, what is your prediction of China's existence over the next 20 years, 20 to 100 years? Well, again, like, you know, just... I mean, if you read the... If you read, it's chapter 8... Okay. Chapter eight, further reflections on the increase and decrease of money in a state. If you read that chapter, that will tell you a lot about uh, how the exporting of all your manufactured goods drives money in. Once that money comes in, then the people start moving towards luxuries. That means foreign imports start coming in, competing with the domestic manufacturing, eventually driving out the domestic manufacturing. How long that, that takes it's anybody's guess. Is it 20 years? Is it 100 years? I mean, the United States did it in, what, 40 years or so? So, I mean, and who knows how much longer we can continue on with the system. I mean, there's, it, it, there's, I don't think there's a timeline that you could really base it on. It can, it can happen quite quickly or slowly if they prevent it, you know, with, I mean, there could be like, there could be laws implemented and, you know, ways of trying to prevent the, the flow of material leaving and the flow of cash from coming in, which seems counterintuitive. Like you would want to produce and get as much cash as you possibly can, not realizing, like, especially if you're not quite aware of how the Cantillon effect works, you could end up in a situation in which like, no, man, punch out as much stuff as you can, produce as much as you can, get on as much money as you can, and then realize like, oh, shit, that was the wrong decision. You know, we shouldn't have done that. We should have had a, because that's what, you, you know, really is talking about, a balance of trade and like, you know, trade balancing. And you hear that all the time. And it makes sense once you realize, oh, crap, if you don't have a trade balance, then you're going to end up suffering from the fact that you have all the money. It was a lot worse when there was just a gold standard because, you know, you couldn't print up any more gold and there was a concentration of gold that would go to a particular country or nation. But it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, the effects are still going to be the same. It still takes place in the same fashion. I mean, you can only produce so much, export that, money starts coming in, you start going into luxuries and importing foreign goods. It's just, it just happens, you know, it's just the way it goes. All right. Um, buy real estate, buy gold, silver, platinum, and protection guns. Also, air rifles for small game and fishing pole. Get a Berkey water filter just for starters. Yeah, um, I could see the silver and gold. The platinum, platinum and the palladium, I, I, I kind of question those ones. Maybe platinum a little bit, but I don't know about palladium because I don't know a single person that buys palladium except for maybe my coin dealer he'll he'll buy palladium but i don't know anybody else like if i go to the bar and i'm like hey man i got an ounce of palladium or i got an ounce of platinum will you buy this off of me most people would be like no but if you had an ounce of gold or an ounce of silver the chances of you finding somebody to buy that are quite high like the availability of selling off or liquidating your silver or gold as opposed to platinum or especially palladium are so much higher with gold and silver than they are the any, anything else. So I, I, I mean, I think it's a good idea to have it as, you know, 
something in you know outside of the third party something that's an insurance policy but really you're limiting yourself to just a handful of people out there who would be willing to buy that off of you in the future when it comes to gold and silver you can find a lot of people who will buy that yeah. i hold platinum for speculation it's 50 percent off from its all-time high face value denomination is 100 dollars um well, yeah, that's definitely a good idea. I mean, silver's less than 50% off of its... I mean, it's like at 60% off of its all-time high. So, I don't know. I'm still I'm still a fan of silver. I think silver is incredibly undervalued, and I think there's a lot of room for silver to move. So, um, I'm more of a silver into silver than I am anything else. Um, I have bought a few lottery tickets over the years. Yeah, you know, I remember a long time ago... the. I had gone to the to the little convenience store, and all I had was like two bucks. So I'm buying a beer, right? I'm buying this 24 ounce can of beer, and like I had, I was buying it with change too, and I had like quarters and nickels and dimes, and I'm buying this damn beer. And I remember like everybody like there at this convenience store were buying lottery tickets. Like everybody was. I don't even know what the lottery was up to. It must have been a lot, but you know I didn't care. I just I was buying beer. And I just remember the lady saying to me, like, she was just like, what, you're not going to buy a lottery ticket either? and I, Or you're not buying a lottery ticket? And I'm, I hold, and I look at my beer, and I look at her, and I said, nah, I'm going for the for sure thing, you know, because I know what's in this can. I'm not much into playing or gambling. Um, occasionally, like at work, we might throw a pool in, you know, to say, hey, you know, let's buy a bunch of lottery tickets and see if we win, a, you know, $100 million or something like that. We'll split it between us all. I do that for fun, you know, just to be, you know, kind of in the group and play the game with them. But as me personally, I am not into gambling and I really don't buy lottery tickets. Um, I don't I don't get jazzed off of that. Um to me, it's more frustrating than anything else, you know, to have this wish that you were going to be rich someday or whatever, and then boom, it's instantly over. And it's like, man, that was kind of hurts, you know. I'd rather just think about being rich all the time and just have this feeling that I'm progressing towards being rich, you know, <laughs> instead of like quick money with a lottery ticket. Lottery is poor person tax. Yeah, I can see that. Ford slash 8,000 American jobs. See, it's happening. I knew it was going to happen. Uh, I had plans to come, then the coof hit me. Damn. Um, always buy lottery at work. Don't be the one left out. Yeah, I, I totally, and that's the reason why I did it is because, man, these guys are going to win $100 million. I'm going to be stuck here, and they're going to be off, like, you know, blasting their millions out there having fun, and I'll be like, dang, I should have put my dollar in. All right. Simon, look into distinction of U.S. flag with gold tassels and without. Yeah, doesn't it have something to do with, like, being at war or being, or maybe it's the position of the flag? Or I, there, I, I read about this one. I'm sorry. I don't know the answer to that one. There was a time I knew that. Um, God, what does that mean? I, I know there's a difference in that. And, like, there's a difference from hanging your flag like a pennant where it hangs straight down at an angle and then straight up there's that all that has different meanings to it you know like isn't it if it's at an angle then it's like a sign that you're at war it's like a charge like a charging kind of sign anyway i don't i don't want to make stuff up but i think that's the case right? gambling is terrible speaking of which is las vegas in danger hoover dam having lower water levels and a blowing transformer i think real recent yeah that doesn't doesn't sound good at all <laughs> Um, 
The gold fringe is wartime flag. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought it was. Yeah. Country in distress. Yeah. Uh, who did you vote for in 2021? Does it matter? Does it really matter who I voted for? Because I live in Oregon. I have a mail-in ballot. We had three electoral votes. And by the time our votes got counted, they had already named the president. He was thanking everybody for, for voting him in. So does it really matter what who I voted for? I live in Oregon. I mean, if you want to know personally, I don't know, email me or something. Um, you know, but yeah, there's I like I don't really give a shit about the president who you know and voting for president. I I mean, voting in Oregon is just it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. It means that we are already in a type of state of martial law. Yeah, uh, I can see that. I mean, haven't we been there for quite some time? Wartime powers and stuff like that. Uh, he voted for himself. That's, that's it. Hail Caesar. Uh, Simon, cooperation versus the... Re cooperation? Corporation versus the Republic. Yeah. Uh, what do you believe is the catalyst to the equity market upcoming big drop? Um, well, it's, I mean... Well, you think about it. Like, a lot of people have their retirements to have their money have everything stacked up inside of the stock market if you start running into a liquidity crisis where there's not enough dollars floating around to pay your debts like you cannot seem to earn it can't find it don't know what to do to get it you're going to sell off everything you have and the stock market's going to be one of those as well the other thing that's going to cause the stock markets to go down is these corporations who have gorged on a lot of this debt they bought back their own stock right they did a bunch of stock buybacks so if they own their, like they own their creditors, like they, like, you know, they issued out all this debt and those debts are coming due and they're like, shoot, we don't really have a good flow of cash coming into our business. How do we come up with the cash? Well, then you start selling your assets off. You start cutting employees. You start cutting like, you know, maybe selling off some of your equipment or buildings or stuff like you have like that. Or you start selling off that stock that you have been purchasing back or buying back. And that all that stuff could start causing the stock market to fall. When you go to court, they display a gold fringe flag, meaning you are in a military tribunal, not a court case. Yeah, there's, um, again, I don't really want to get into like the sovereign person, which, you know, there is no such thing as like a sovereign citizen. You're either sovereign or you're a citizen. There's one of the two. And when you understand like the difference between being a sovereign and being a citizen, there is a huge difference in that when you get it you really start to understand how it is that this government controls the pretty much everything it like i don't know the easiest way to 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 show you is to look at anything that you have ever gotten as a bill or from the government like your driver's license all that stuff you're going to find that your name is spelled in all capital letters that is the corporate person. You are acting as the straw man. Exactly. Bucky 52,000. That's it. It's the straw man. You are, it's as if, it's as if you're wearing a jacket that says, I'm this person now. Right. And everywhere you walk around, you're wearing that jacket. So you're signing the name for this person. You're doing all kinds of things, behaving in a fashion that you think is you, but you're not. You're behaving in the, 
the authority of this corporate person. And in once you kind of learn to separate that, you kind of understand that there's two different things happening there, then you can realize that, no, as a natural living person, you don't have to fall in line with this corporate person. That's not you. That is an entity that was set up in your name as if, you know, as if it was you, but it's not you. So here's another thing. You can find, you can find proof of this. Go and look at your checkbook. Go and, go and get your personal checkbook out. And you know the line that you sign your name to? Look at that line really close. And you'll realize that it's not a line. It's actually a series of dots. And then if you take a magnifying glass and you look at those dots, you're going to realize that it's not dots. It's actually it's words. And it says authorized signature. Okay? So why do you think that they would make it so tiny that you couldn't even read it and then make it look like a line? because they don't want you to understand that you are acting as another entity. You are acting in behalf of this person, this other corporate person identity, and you are the authorized person to sign that, right? It's Otherwise, they just have authorized signature real big right there, right? That's But they don't. They hide it from you. And that's the reason. It's because that capital letters, all those names, that name in capital letters, that's the corporate person that you're working for. Not working for, working on behalf of, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard to explain all this stuff in just a simple, quick, you know, video or even just description. I mean, this is something that you have to, like, research and learn and try to understand, and it takes a long time. Uh, what does authorized signature mean? Again, that's that's the question. You have to understand that. It's like, what does that mean? It means that you are author, you are... You are the authorized person to sign for this corporate identity. That's what it means, okay? Nobody else can sign for that corporate identity but you. But it is a corporate identity. It's not you, the physical person. It's this corporate identity. Don't take possession of that. This, like, take that jacket off and say, I don't need that anymore. I don't need that corporate person anymore. If you can learn to do that, you'd be amazed on what you can find from that. But I'm not suggesting that anybody do it. But it is certainly something that you should learn because there's been plenty of people who go to jail for... for trying to understand or think that they know that when they don't um i didn't follow that it's yeah i'm sorry guys i i don't know if i can explain it just so quickly you'd have to do the research on it you know um yeah anyway let's move on let's talk about something else your social security number is a trust fund oh gosh i'm not going to get you guys off of this one now am i all right you can deny you are the not you they want you to be you can deny you are not the you they want you to be. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yes, that's so true. All right. Um, hi, do you think there will be food shortages? And if so, how long should we store food for? Um, I think that if you, if you understand how to preserve and store food, just make that part of your, your life. Just, just make that happen um, and just be that way from now on. There's plenty of there's plenty of food to be had right now, but if there ever came a time when there wasn't enough food, you're going to find that abundance of food would come at a certain time, but you would only be able to take a little piece of that. If you can take it all and preserve it, then you, you, you're not going to suffer nearly as much as the people who can only take the little piece at a time. So that's really like where the ticket is going to be for a lot of people is to learn to preserve food and just live that life as 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 far as just being able to do that um it's difficult because a lot of people like they shop every single day like they don't boy these guys are getting wild over here 
got a group of guys hidden over here drinking and hanging out. Anyway, um, but that's where a lot of people like they they end up like buying like their food for the next couple of days or for a day. And that's that's going to that's going to come back to bite them like that's going to that's going to hurt when the food shortages really start to kick in, because people are going to find that like, man, I don't understand this whole food shortage thing. There's plenty of food everywhere, but it's going to be so expensive that people are not going to be really able to buy it. That's going to be the major difference. The only people whose lives really won't change much are going to be the rich. The rich will eat, but everybody else is going to cut back on how much they eat or how much they buy or cut back on other things in their life in order to buy the food. So that's i mean i would just live life that way like just to start learning to can and learning to preserve and just be ready for taking an abundance and and preserving it that's it's going to be very helpful in the future for you hey thank you gus for the two dollar super chat how do i claim my inheritance when it happens um i don't know i don't know you know, there's ways that you can accept for value and that any debt that you have, you can just put your signature on and say, here, I don't, I'm, you can have that back and just turn it into cash and just your debts just magically go away. If you can understand accept it for value, then you're going to understand a lot about the sovereign person out there and all that. Uh, food grows out of the ground. It does grow out of the ground. That is very true. <laughs> uh, thanks for your response about the food. Yeah, you bet. No problem. Hey, talk about the rail transport limiting death fluid. Yeah, um, that's that's funny. I heard other people talking about that one, and I wish I had some more information to to uh, to give you guys on that particular one. You know, like all these vehicles, all these diesel trucks that run around there, they all use this like you know separate blue death fluid that goes in there to run these damn diesel engines, and. Uh, you know, when that comes up in limited supply, then you can't drive your truck, right? I mean, all of a sudden here, all these diesel vehicles are, are limited on how, where they can even go because of the secondary fluid that you have to put in there. Um, I've heard a lot about there being a shortage of that, but I have not experienced it myself or had anybody tell me about like some kind of experience that they had with it. So I wish I had some more information about it, but I really don't. Uh, do you guys know anything about Foxconn? I don't. Sovereign Citizen is a movement, right? It is a movement, but it's more like a subculture. It's more like a culture of people than it is like an actual movement. I've talked to a bunch of people about Sovereign, like the Sovereign person or something like that, and they just look at me like I am just crazy, like absolute nuts. So I don't like... I don't try and push like, you know, this idea that, you know, Hey, you should be the sovereign person or something like that. It's just because people will just look at you like you're just completely nutty. All right. Uh, $2 from Gus. Thank you again. Seems I'm going to need money for an inheritance. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure where you're going with that one, brother. DC now is battle between reps and reps that honor the republic and reps that honor the corporation um i'll have to i'll have to take your word for it because i wouldn't know i mean i have i have seen very little constitutional behavior coming from our government like very very little 
So there might be individuals out there who definitely have the heart for, for being the constitutionalist, but as far as it actually equating into government behaving that way, I don't see it happening. Uh, um, it all comes from maritime law. It does. That's very true. The sovereign thing does come from maritime law. You need a lawyer, my dude. Yeah, I'm thinking he's talking to the guy with the, talking to Gus, yeah. Um, January 6th going on now. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, why can't you be off the grid? Transportation? Uh, are you talking to me personally? I mean, I wouldn't go off the grid just because it's not as convenient. You know, I mean, I like having conveniences. I like, I like sitting down at restaurants and having a cup of coffee. Like, I like that idea. I don't want to be like, stuck on a farm trying to produce everything that I need from, you know, to be self-sustaining. I, I enjoy the concept of that. I enjoy like having the ability to grow food and to have all these things, but I don't, I mean, I'm already kind of a hermit. I can't imagine like trying to be 100% off the grid and be, you know, survival on my own. Um, I mean, a lot of people probably get a lot of joy and satisfaction out of doing something like that. I like coming out here with my cell phone and talking to you guys and, you know, doing the things that I do. So I'm not saying I like the system by any means, but I like being able to do stuff like this. And you really couldn't do that if you're off the grid. Um, yeah, probably or financial advisor, Gus. Yep. I went camping once. What a ridiculous concept. What are you talking about? Camping's fun. I like that. Uh, where do you see interest rates rising to? That's, I don't know. Um, what is the neutral rate? Like, what is the, the natural rate of interest where the Fed is no longer, like, restricting nor accommodating the economy? Like, what is that interest rate? That's where I see it going to. It may go a little bit above it, but for the most part, you're going to find that the neutral rate of interest is where the Fed is shooting for. And they might try and get a little bit of ammo back to slightly above that what that neutral rate is, is just beyond me. Like a lot of, I, I thought it was somewhere around two and a half percent. That's kind of where I've guessed because that's what a lot of other economists have said. But in the John Williams speech, he says, hold on here. I got it right here. What did he say? The neutral interest rate was, um, here we go. He said today's, today's low neutral interest rate reflects a culmination of trends extending back 25 years. A quarter century ago, a typical estimate of the neutral rate in the United States was 2 to 2.5%, consistent with historical averages over the preceding half century. Since then, however, there has been a clear downward trend in the neutral interest rate in the United States and other advanced economies, with current estimates ranging from 0 to 1.5%. So what is it? Zero to two and a half percent, somewhere in there. I mean, I don't know what the neutral rate is, but I'm guessing it's somewhere around that two and a half percent just from the historical averages that have been out there. So let's see here. A natural rate of interest on a floating exchange rate is zero. Taco Bell politics. Yeah, you like that Taco Bell politics analogy? That was a good one. I mean, I've been using that one for years, but yeah, I finally like, I mean, I guess I finally hit it on a video that, you know, you guys enjoyed. So 
Uh, let's see here. Why? Because that's Neo got to choose from. That's all Neo got to choose from. Huh? Do you ever deliver for Domino's? No. I've never done pizza delivery. I mean, I guess I could. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of like... It's kind of a job that, you know, will probably do well if you got, like, tips in a good area. But, like, for the most part, I just can't imagine Domino's being the most, like, tipping customers. We have better deliver... We have better restaurants, better pizza restaurants around here. And if you're buying Domino's, I can just imagine that you're probably going for the cheaper pizzas. So, no, I wouldn't work for Domino's. I wouldn't deliver for them. Uh, let's see here. Warren Mosler, Mosler, the guy that invented MMT breakdown is down real simple. Breaks it down. Oh, the guy who invented MMT breaks it down real simple. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a bunch of people argue for MMT and I don't know. I just, I still don't see how deficits don't matter and how you can be productive without workers. It's just like, and everybody says, oh no, everything's going to go into automation and then you won't have to work and you can just be given money and Every, you know, this robots will take care of you. That sounds like luxury. Sounds like a dive into luxury just before you go into poverty. So I don't know. It sounds sounds bad. <laughs> During the lockdown, I knew a guy who made bank delivering pizzas, electric trucks. What do you think about Ray Dalio's views of the future of the U.S.? I don't listen to that guy. I have. I. I don't trust that that one. I think he helps the the narrative and the credible threats. Um, so I don't I don't I don't trust him. I delivered Thai food for a friend's restaurant and got a fortune in tips. Yeah, that's I mean that's I knew a few pizza delivery you know drivers and they yeah they talked about making killer money doing it, especially like on Friday Saturday nights. I mean it was like killer money. Same thing with bartenders. I mean bartenders had a good bar you know on a friday and saturday night can just kill it in tips you know make as much in two days as most people make in a week you know the only problem is is that you know being a bartender you're serving a, a narcotic you know to people and that's like it's not it's not a good environment to be in all the time you know i mean you know doing it once a week might not be a big deal but to do it every single day for the rest of your life or for you know a long time that can't be good on your mind uh, do capitalism is the answer. I agree. Hey, thank you very much, uh, Lavish Patch Kid, for the ten dollars super chat. Michael Burry must watch your channel because he started talking about the bullwhip effect in retail on Twitter, and Sky News Australia reported on it like it came from him. Yeah, and I'm finding that be the case with a lot of people out there right now. Now, I was, I wouldn't say I was the first one to talk about the bullwhip effect, but I was certainly one who was relating the bullwhip effect to the lumber industry and saying that that was going to start taking place throughout the rest of the economy. There was a lot of YouTubers out there now who are talking about the bullwhip effect who knew that I was talking about it a long time ago, and I don't get any credit for it. And that's cool. I mean, because you guys are the important ones. Everybody else doesn't really matter. It's only, you know, it's just you. But I think about that a lot. It was just like, wow, nobody wants to come up and say, hey, an uneducated economist was calling that stuff out a long time ago. And it really, it was the viewers who, who had called it out because I was just describing the situation that I was experiencing. I was talking about, you know, I was talking about the lumber industry and the things that I was seeing, you know, got the short supply and money running up and, I, you know, there's 
or the price of it running up and how these mills are going to go into overproduction. And I mean, I think it was just a simple comment. They said, this is the bullwhip effect. And I was like, wow, I've never heard of that. And I went and looked it up and sure enough, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. So I started talking about the bullwhip effect more often. So it was like, it was the viewers who knew it. Like I learned more from you than you guys learned from me. I hope you guys know that. I mean, I learned so much more from you. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Michael Burry, yeah, he, he started talking about it and then, you know, everybody else did too. And I'm like, you know, what about UE, man? Right? Nobody's bringing UE on to talk about the, the bullwhip effect. All right. Yes, I see the bullwhip effect, especially in the grocery store shelves for non-essentials are overstocked. Go over to the meats, dairy, and, and it's the exact opposite. All non-essentials will be very cheap. Yeah. Are you... Are you UE or Simon? I I don't know. Which one am I? I'm the uneducated economist when I'm on this channel. <laughs> um, this is not a free market anymore. It's not. What car do you have? This is a 99 Toyota Corolla. Red pill or green pill? I don't know what that means. Green pill? Like what? The green energy pill thing or the green movement? I don't fall into any of that stuff. I just look at the situation for what it is and try and take advantage of it. Short talk appeared in February in Australia for death. Okay. Does everyone here know who Michael Burry is? Michael Burry, that dude is like actually pretty cool. He was the one who was calling out the housing market back in 08. Actually, before that, excuse me, guys. He was the one who was calling out the, the housing market back before the great financial crisis took place. You could see that the, the mortgage-backed securities were a bunch of toxic assets, and he started loading up on the credit default swaps, which is basically the insurance policy that covers those mortgage-backed securities, so that he was loading up on these credit default swaps, waiting for the market to crash. Once the mortgage-backed securities started to fail, he was going to get paid hugely off these credit default swaps. The only problem is, is that the credit rating agencies wouldn't downgrade the mortgage-backed securities. They were just like, you know, we're not, they're, they're not calling them toxic assets. And it really like screwed a lot of these people who had these credit default swaps because they didn't pay off. What ended up happening though, is that they still made a bunch of money off of them because once the mortgage-backed securities were essentially downgraded, the credit default swaps went like hugely priced. Like, I mean, in order to buy one of these insurance policies, the, the price of them just went through the roof. And then they were able to sell those credit default swaps off for a pretty, pretty decent chunk. It wouldn't have paid out. I mean, they didn't pay off as much as would have if they had got the claim off of it, you know, like the actual insurance policy claim. They were just able to sell the, the, the contract for a higher price. Or at least that's what, you know, most of them, I believe how it went down. So Michael Burry was definitely in the know as far as being able to see the problem way ahead of time and was trying to do something about that or make money off of it. So yeah, he's pretty, pretty good guy. I mean, pretty cool guy as far as that goes. Save it. Buying power is decreasing every day. Uh, big short. That is great movie. Yeah. It was the big short. That was one of the best movies ever. Yeah. Uh, craps on craps on the best cars ever produced. Okay, craps one of the. I don't know what he's trying to say. Probably the Corolla is one of the best cars. Van life or rent in San Francisco. He's Christian Bale from The Big Short. Yep. Uh, let's see here. 
Probably a dumb theory, but wouldn't Dollar General be a good investment as a stock? Poverty strikes. Where's the best place to shop? Um, yeah, I can see something like that doing quite well. Um, you know, a lot of people like, you know, wanting to save money, go down to the dollar stores to, to buy things. Um, I thought like businesses to probably get into would be like repos, like people who do reposition of cars. I think that would probably be a good business. I see that happening. It'd be short lived, but it'd be you know a decent one to be in for for a short time, not like because it's awesome business to be in. Because I think the business is probably going to do well. You know, um, liquor companies. Yeah, like I, I still buy. So I'm not buying a lot, but I do buy stock every once in a while, and it's very small, like fifty dollars at a time. But I'm still buying into Altria, which is Marlboro Cigarettes, Anheuser Busch jewel cannabis company they're all underneath the altria so that's kind of like a sin stock thing that i buy but i don't really drink or smoke I, I don't drink or smoke but i know a little bit about addiction so i'm you know i get into that one how much time is that what do i got i got 15 percent power left i'm gonna i'm gonna bail out of here guys i'll give it another five minutes you got any more questions you want me to answer Remember, 2008 Little Caesars pizza exploded with the $5 pizzas, yeah? Where where are you able to find a good place? To live? Yeah, um, I did. I really do enjoy my house. I enjoy the location of it. It's in a really nice neighborhood um, as far as a nice, quiet, peaceful neighborhood. There's very little traffic around me. Um, I have deer that come through the yard every day. You know, I got this doe who has two fawns that cruise around with her they come through eat my garden up um well the little garden i have left but um yeah i enjoy the the location that i'm at um it is a decent house um you know it's not it's nothing fancy about it but it's you know it's, it's a decent place and i'm i'm happy with it alcohol always makes it in bad and good times yeah i kind of agree uh, thank you, Simon. You are a total rock star. Thank you very much, guys. You, you are the rock stars. Thank you for being here and hanging out with me and, you know, all this, all the support that you guys give. And I just, I can't thank you guys enough when you do. In your opinion, which is better to combat inflation, raising taxes or interest rates? Um, well, I guess that would type, be the type of inflation that you have going on. Um, right now, a lot of people are looking at the dollar devaluation coming from the monetary policy, and I don't see it that way. I see it more as a supply chain breakdown that had happened, creating shortages, creating the idea that there's inflation out there, and forcing people to behave in such fashions. I don't necessarily believe the monetary policy is the only reason why we have inflation taking place. And so interest rates cannot really fix a supply chain breakdown. And the raising of interest rates can't really do it either. Like, I mean, I think if government just got simply out of the way, then we would find that, you know, like, especially when it comes to restrictions from like, you know, the truckers in California where you have to have all these new trucks and you can't drive your old trucks or something like that. If they were to get out of the way, just simply just just let the free market fix it, the free market would take care of business. I mean, it will bring the most quality products at the efficient price 
to the customer. There is no better system that can do that other than capitalism and free market thinking. It, anytime you ever put a middleman in between there saying, I'm going to make this better, it makes it worse. Like, think about it. Like, if you have a doctor and you have a patient, and then you put a bunch of administrators in between that, how is that ever going to possibly make it cheaper? Like you can never possibly make healthcare cheaper by putting people in between the patient and the doctor. So all the insurance and all the staff and all the stuff that they do to try and deal with all this paperwork for people who are getting sick and need care and they need insurance coverage and you know all that stuff, that creates a burden and bogs down the system and creates the healthcare problem of being too expensive even worse like insurance doesn't make it better it makes it problem far worse and i know this from personal experience just because like i had my first kid was born with an emergency c-section and i didn't have insurance and when the bill came in it was like sixteen thousand dollars now luckily i there was like you know the hospital took care of you know helped us out because you know like we did the financial thing to try and figure out what it is that we we're going to do to pay for this emergency C-section. They're like, you know, Hey, we're going to knock 90% off of this bill. You just have to come up with $1,600 and you can pay for this kid and walk out the hospital debt free. Holy moly. That was awesome. Okay. The next kid I had, right. Which was just not even, let's see what, seven years later, six, seven years later that I had insurance. I had, you know, I had insurance. It was, everything went off without a hitch. There was no emergency, anything taking place. It was just like, it was, it went, it went just like you would expect it to. I walked out of that hospital owing $6,500. That was one of the reasons why I went into the, you know, went into debt and ended up going to collections on it is because this damn bill was $6,500. Now, how the hell that happened with insurance, I could not figure out and I could not get them to explain it to me. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how is it that you could charge me $6,500 when I had insurance and I paid $1,600 for an emergency C-section just seven years ago? And like, nobody could explain this to me, not the insurance company, not the hospital, whatever. And I was so deep in debt and so frustrated. I was just like, well, you guys aren't getting my money anyway. And so I just like kind of gave up on that too. And it's the reason why it ended up going to collections. But anyway, okay. I'm, you guys are so awesome. I'm going to jet out of here. Everybody is so cool. And thank you so much for all the comments. Thank you for liking the video. Thank you, everybody, for the super chats. Thank you for hanging out for two and a half hours. Uneducated Economist. You guys let me know.